This is Connor. This is Paul. This is Bernard. And this is Jen. And welcome, welcome to, to Silver Screamers! Screamers. <laughs> your, your genre-assimilating, decade-time-hopping film podcast. Live, long, and podcast. This is exciting because this is our first in-person guest in, I think, about eight months, nine months, since three, I think. maybe. This is our first double date with my brother Bernard. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Barely uh, three minutes in, you're making it weird. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, this is my brother Bernard and his lovely partner, Jim. Hello. Hello. Sister-in-law, I should say, probably. Not his sister. Not his sister. That would also be weird. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Welcome along, guys. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for agreeing to come on. Thank you for inviting us to our house. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the lovely dinner. You're welcome. Um, So we this is a week two of Star Trek season. This is why I have the microphone, because we established last week that Paul isn't very good on Star Trek. Nope. And uh, this, this, I'm using this season to explore why people care about this franchise. And to help me, uh, we have one Star Trek expert in Burr, right? Uh, hello. I would say. Well, obviously, apart from you. I would say that's fair. And then, Jem, you're more like me. You're more like, yes. what the fuck is this? Yes. Yeah. So this will be an interesting... But I was forced to watch it nonetheless. Forced. I we watched to, it. We had to watch some preparatory material before I was actually forced to watch watching the movie itself. Additional content. Yeah. Well, I forced Paul to watch the same additional content because okay. last or two weeks ago, Bernard was you guys were over, and myself and Bernard stayed up very late and watched. Uh, which one oh, did we so watch? It was a plot. Uh, we didn't. We watched yesterday's Enterprise, which isn't board related. Oh yeah, that's right. But then we started watching Scorpion from Voyager. from Voyager, which is board related. But anyway, Bernard suggested that I get Paul to watch Q Who. The first time the Borg are introduced into the Star Trek franchise, and then we watch Best of Both Worlds, which is a two-parter where Jean-Luc Picard, spoiler alert, gets assimilated into the Borg, which you kind of have to watch before First Contact. Anyone who gives a shit about Star Trek and listens to this podcast knows that. So I think we can be safe to say, yeah, Picard gets assimilated. (laughs) I'm doing it for the millions of fans that we have that maybe don't like Star Trek. I was not forced to watch the Borg Q1. I watched that on my own. Yeah. That would be too much for you. It would have What's Borg Q Who? That sounds like it'd be Q Who. What's that? Q Who is the, uh, the episode in which the Borg are first introduced into uh, the Star Trek universe. Is that the one I watched? Uh, yeah. You watched Q Who and Best of Worlds. Come on. We, Why did they call it Q Who? Because. <laughs> because oh, if we kept it. Okay. Because there was a character in, in it called Q who for anyone who doesn't know, is a kind of omnipotent deity-like figure in the Star Trek Next Generation universe oh, yeah, yeah, okay. who, who has a particular liking for basically fucking around with the Enterprise crew. Uh, they, he plays pranks in them. Um, he has a particular uh, fondness for making uh, Picard's life a living hell. And in this episode, he wants to... Uh, he wants. He requests a position as a member of the Enterprise crew from Picard, who basically laughs him off, and uh, says that he doesn't need Q, and so Q responds by hurling the Enterprise across the galaxy right into the path of the Borg, 
uh, and the Enterprise proves to be completely unable to deal with the Borg. And at the end of the episode, Picard has to essentially beg Q's uh, help, uh, at which point he flings them back to their own part of the galaxy. A lesser man would have died rather than ask for help. Yes, exactly. Connor? Yes? And, and Bernard? Mm-hmm. And Jamie, you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed I this. enjoyed those two episodes. Hey. Three episodes. The two-parter. Best of both worlds, a two-part episode. And... It was fine TV. And when I say fine, I don't mean like it was fine. I mean, it was it was a fine, a fine piece of media. <laughs> but before we get too into Star Trek, can't wait. Uh, I think we should maybe get to know Ber- uh, Bernard and Gem a bit better. We know you quite well. Uh, Enough to break our wine glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but um, our many, many listeners will be new to you guys. So what we do when we have guests is uh, they won't. They're our friends. They know them already. <laughs> We, uh, no, uh, I know Bernard. We asked to prepare Jem. I don't want to put you on the spot, but Bernard, we'll, we'll, if you want to come in at the end, maybe. But we'll start with Bernard to prepare just some films that are like films that you would, you know, if you had only three more films that you could ever watch, what would they be? And then one film that you like that everyone else seems to dislike, and then the opposite, one film that you dislike that everyone else likes. So, okay. so we start with your your kind of the couple of films that you just love that are great. Uh, I I didn't do much preparation for this, but <laughs> always uh, a good start. Well, yeah, but like you can whenever whenever you're asked like oh name your top five movies unless you're some sort of nerd who maintains a, a list of your top five movies and updates it on. on Paul, what are your top five movies? <laughs> it's top three, one. Doesn't have to be your, like top, didn't. There's no like in order. Just a couple of films that come to mind that you're like oh yeah these are great films that I think I would you know I could watch over and over. Jurassic Park would be the first one because that was the first movie I ever remember actually looking forward to to seeing in the cinema and then going to see it and it was like a really good choice. Yeah, yeah I very good that's choice. On one of our lists what that we it? did in that first oh. episode, Jurassic Park. Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking about my list. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Okay, it's my turn now. Go on, keep your list to yourself. I just want to make sure my list isn't overlapping. Okay, and why Jurassic Park? Why, why that film? Just because it's, it's it sticks out to me as being the first the first movie that I ever knew was coming out in the cinema and was anticipating it for months before it came out and then went to it and wasn't disappointed. Okay, cool. Jem, do you have one? Yes. Oh, just one? Or no, no your first we one. Take turns. Yeah. Oh, okay. My first one okay, I'm a sucker for a rom com. Okay. So yeah. So I think my favourite rom com is probably Notting Hill. All right, okay. But I might be biased because Reese Ivans is in there representing the Welsh. Oh, uh, so. yeah. Yeah, but I love Notting Hill, so it would be between that and Love Actually, probably, because I like that as well. I think Love Actually was one of Doreen's favourite as well, was it? Or Doreen. Yeah, Doreen loves that. My, that's my dad's favourite rom-com. Every Christmas he watches right Love Actually. in the feels, yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's a kind of nice balance of funny and and the feels yeah. yeah you know now that you say it I think I, I've, I've definitely seen Love Actually I'm not entirely sure I've seen Notting Hill I love Notting Hill it just pips Love Actually for me I think okay. that's Hugh Grant too right yeah Hugh Grant so and Julia Roberts Hugh Grant is she's a famous actress oh I've heard of her playing a famous actress <laughs> sorry I said I interrupted you there <laughs> um, and he's a bookstore keeper in Camden I think in London and um, they get together and there's hijinks and why does that resonate with you? I don't know. I, I've always liked rom-coms, really. I guess that's why I write them. But I think just... Get your plug in. Yeah, my plug. <laughs> I, th- I like the... Um, 
happy ever after I think kind of dig a happy ever after that's a particularly good one and it's quite funny as well it's like there's a very good uh, cast of secondary characters that I like they're very funny okay cool I think Hugh Grant has kind of had this renaissance in the last 10 years where people are like Hugh Grant's amazing actually and because I, th- I think around that time he, he he wasn't like that highly respected an actor and then I think when he got arrested for sleeping with that lady in a car lady, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> <was> very diplomatic <laughs> that sex worker uh, I think people were like it's kind of rock and roll Hugh Grant wasn't expecting that and then he started playing like he played the bad boy then in Bridget Jones yeah, and then yeah. now he plays just these really kind of I don't think I've actually seen him in anything in the last he was in. Oh, seen him in he's in some watched, gangster uh, movie or something recently. We watched. Uh, uh, we watched Paddington Two. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, I think he was nominated for a BAFTA for that. He was. He was played the villain in it, and he was outstanding. That movie. That movie is awesome. Oh, maybe that's list. what I'm thinking of. That it, I thought it was a gangster or something, but maybe that's no, what he was, was in a gangster like film. Big, he was. You know, he was a fading. Uh, you know, West End star who was uh, trying to follow the uh, the, the uh, treasure map basically to uh, old family gold so that he could he could finance his one man show comeback. So he was like a ridiculously over the top, uh, you know, kind of campy villain, and it was he did an amazing job of it. Mm. I, I think Hugh Grant. Uh, I've seen him on Graham Norton a few times, and I think he recognizes maybe his own limitations as an actor sometimes. But I think he's stepped out of his comfort zone the last <coughs> few years. I think he got typecast as well for a while, the same way that Matthew McConaughey did, where it was just, they just did rom-coms yeah. for like years and everybody thought that was all they could do until they stepped outside of that, those yeah. roles into New Zealand. Okay, cool. Bernard, do you, do you have another one? Uh, I will say Fight Club for my second movie. Okay, tell us why. Again, because it was another uh, memorable experience where I went to the cinema and I don't even know why I went with a couple of friends of mine I don't even know why we went to it we didn't know anything about it going in except that it was about an underground boxing club of some description Brad Pitt get the shirt off and that was not one of my <laughs> motivations in going to the movie but are you sure? Uh, <laughs> first rule of fight club <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it was it was a very it was just an awesome surprise because the movie turned out to be a you know a really really clever very dark black comedy which was the last thing we were expecting um but really the whole cinema was it was in stitches at it you know because it was it was really extremely funny and it was uh, i remember coming out of it going geez i geez i really did not see that going in but uh, it was you know it was a very memorable cinema experience because of that i remember fight club i think being one of the first movies with this twist that I was like, oh my god, I didn't see that coming. That like that was like an amazing twist at the end of it. The first one that you saw. Yeah. yeah okay. Not the first ever <laughs> the first movie. ever movie with a twist in it. <laughs> like, you haven't seen Psycho. <laughs> no. No, no. Just the one that I remember being my first. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but there's like if you go back through it now, after you've seen it, you can, there's a bunch of different little bits and pieces where you can kind of see it. Like for instance, uh, there's one part where they. Tyler Durden and uh, Jack, the narrator, Edward Norton, are driving in a car and they go off. They go off an embankment and they crash, and they get out of the wrong sides of the car, not the same sides that they were sitting in when they crashed. Okay. And apparently, uh, 
in the if you listen to the director's commenti- commentary, David Fincher, directed, says that like uh, one of the editors came to him saying, "We have a continuity error here. Uh, they're getting out of the wrong sides of the car here. Maybe we can flip the frame to like correct it." And David Fincher was like, "Uh uh uh, wait till you see the rest of the movie." Uh, very good. Uh, <laughs> okay, Jen, do you want to have another? Um. Well, I don't want to open a can of wounds, but I think uh, the Snyder Cut is on my list now. Oh, oh okay. I really enjoyed that a lot. Mm. It was great. Yeah, I think it was like the cinematography more than like the actual movie. Like if I had to watch the actual movie itself, and it was just kind of like if I went to see that as a play, <laughs> like it wouldn't be any good. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd love to see the Snyder Cut on a play. The Snyder Cut yeah. as a play. Yeah, if it was like it's you know this play brought to you by Snyder I'd be like so by Zack Snyder yeah mm. I disagree I, I think I that really sounds ingenious <laughs> but I really enjoyed with it. all the slow motion yeah. <laughs> the actors on stage just like, <laughs> like they've done eight hours okay maybe I would uh, yeah but I really enjoyed it I liked um, Wonder Woman in it in particular I thought her scenes were good and that's quite that's quite a difference to Notting Hill yeah, and yeah, yeah. diversity <laughs> <laughs> and would you generally be into the Marvel movies yeah I've watched or, well, them sorry all. comic book movies sorry okay it's DC oh, whatever Paul Jesus <laughs> leaping towards Connor's left out of his skin there <laughs> I didn't even I could just see him in my periphery vision coming into here and just like okay I get it I know I know uh, yes I do I watch I've watched all of the Marvel movies and we watch all of the series don't we yes we just started looking at it that was alright but yeah I would I would watch them but I wouldn't kind of really really kind of like them although I I did like the last um, I can't remember the names of things oh my god the last Endgame yeah I like that yeah Yeah. that's good yeah Um, but I think the Snyder Cut kind of edges that out for me even just, I just really enjoyed it. I just found it a really immersive experience. Hmm. It's kind of carried me along. It was really interesting to see that movie, having seen the um, uh, Joss Whedon version, mm. what it was actually meant to be in yeah, the end. Yeah, I thought it was way better. But I do think way, that... Way, better, yeah. I think, though, that it would have been interesting as well to see if that movie, if Zack Schneider had finished that and was doing a cinematic release of it, what it would have been. Yeah, I agree that because he wouldn't have been able he to release it. That's yeah. Well, I mean, I think like he was in a unique position of everyone in the world being pretty much <laughs> not just that, but everyone in the world had been going release the Snyder cut for like two and a half years, and so he got the seventy million to uh, to to do whatever he wanted with it. So I think he was. Pretty and much did like, he? Fuck act- it, I'm going to throw everything I want into this. Did no they, editing. Did they get people back to no, reshoot no. scenes or anything? No, there was no reshoot. They got seventy million quid. To complete all the CGI effects that haven't been finished. Oh, yeah. So I heard a little rumor online that it did. Uh, the Snyder Cut did extremely well, mm. and the reason why that couldn't have been released in the cinema is because it just would have been too expensive. Because films could have only done maybe three showings, and people just don't want to go to cinema to watch four hours, and it just wouldn't have been profitable. But well, you have to pee. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you went asleep in between watching it. I had to watch it over two parts. I couldn't do it in one yeah, night. But. That's the luxury of streaming now, and, and and so and it did really well. So now there's a little bit of talk that maybe when you're putting out a film uh, for streaming, you don't have to ab- uh, you know abide by the you know two hour mm. mark. Why do you, why would you confine yourself to that when 
it doesn't affect the obviously it's going to be more expensive and stuff but there's no reason why you can't make it a, a three hour film on Netflix is going to generate just as much money as a two hour film yeah. so we could be seeing like four hour epics more yeah. I hope though that it doesn't mean that people will opt to release movies via streaming rather than releasing them in the cinema I think it's just another option I like going to the cinema I don't want it to replace going to the cinema it's, I don't think it will replace it I think it's just another option yeah I think part of the Snyder Cut success may have been down to the pandemic as well because everybody was kind of at home looking for stuff to watch because they'd watched all of Netflix already. So um, if anybody knows Zack Snyder's whereabouts at the end of 2019, he might have something to do with that. (laughs) Awesome. And this is my favourite one. A film that you like that everyone else seems to hate. Uh, I don't... I wouldn't say that everyone else hates it. And it doesn't fit the criteria. Well, <laughs> it's the only one I've, I can think of at the moment, so you can take it or leave it. Uh, but uh, Jem and I watched it together, and I liked it, and Jem absolutely hated it, so that's close enough, I think. So the criteria is I liked it and Jem hated it. Uh, Under the Skin. Oh, that one. Oh, I was, love Under the Skin. Is that the Scarlett one with Scarlett Johansson, Johansson as an alien? Oh, that's oh, fucking... That's a load of <laughs> shit. <laughs> No, I'm on Bernard's side. No, I thought that I'm was on your side, Jem. No. I thought it was very good. No. It's us against I thought it was... Yes. I thought it was it was definitely straddling a line between being very interesting and a little bit pretentious and wanky. Yeah, you just lines. said you just said director up his own hole, and that's what I think when I think of that movie. Yeah. No, no, no. This is this fell on the this fell oh, on the right so side bad. of that line. I honestly thought it was a really interesting, yep. urban, alien film. And she has a lovely arc. Well, not lovely. It's horrible. But she has an arc. Oh, I thought <laughs> you were going to say arse. <laughs> I also, I also thought that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this, is, <laughs> this is quite out of character. <laughs> she has a, an arc. Uh, I think that we... Okay, this is such a, a small film. I think we have to give a little uh, synopsis. So this is... Uh, Scarlett Johansson just seems to be dropped on the wor- in, into Earth in Scotland of all places oh, yeah. and she's got a lovely fur coat and she's driving around picking lads up and apparently all the lads were actual blokes that Scarlett Johansson she wore a wig nobody recognised her she was just literally chatting up randomers and you know and then I, they would pick an actor to do this and then they would be like oh this is great I'm going to get laid by this hot girl but she wasn't a girl she was an alien and she like skinned them and then and then like kind of processed them oh we don't know and then and then she kind of suddenly starts developing like empathy mm. and then yeah I thought it was cool I liked it I don't know if this microphone is strong enough to pick up all of the sighs but I have definitely done them yeah <laughs> I just wasn't a fan of that movie at all do you have an equivalent Jen a film that you like that other people don't I don't think so like I would watch every Hallmark movie but that's kind of you aren't a big fan of supernatural horror oh that's, no. the, that's the other angle. well I don't really like horror it's not. I'm not scared of it. I just find it difficult to get immersed in it. Suspend your disbelief. So kind yeah, of, my that, brain just goes, "That's not real." Is there any horror in particular that you just thought was crap that everyone else was raving about? Uh, wrong turn. Like I understand why people liked it, but my mum and my best friend watched that movie about fifty times <laughs> while I was in the room, and I just can't even hear the title. Is anymore. that the one where it's in the Australian outback, or is that the one oh, with Jennifer Lawrence? No, 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 that's. No. Um, 
It's Elijah Wolf Dus Creek. Elijah Duskew is in it. Something about that. Elijah Duskew. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's back from. She's got a bit of work. It was her only yeah. kind of leading role yeah. film, certainly of any kind of mainstream quality. She, her, I think we saw this recently enough. Con. She goes on. Um, this chap takes a wrong turn. That's, that's the name of the film and then meets Eliza Dushko and her friends and then hillbillies start chopping them off one by one we we, we saw that recently they go up a tree <laughs> oh the tree yeah. movie so we, we, they climb up a tree and then there's these defo- that's your that's your default that's my default they it doesn't work in this film they climb up a tree and then one of them is killed when uh, one of the cannibals is up in the, goes up in the tree to follow her and like basically gets an axe and slices the axe through her mouth into the tree so essentially the top half of her head is left pinned to the tree and you just see the rest of her body falling off down. I don't think I saw that but this is such a Connor film this is a slasher it's a good it's a, it is actually a very good yeah. uh, kind of you know lowish budget uh you know, uh, horror movie. Well, I think we're proving but, the point. A film that Jen hates that everybody else seems to love. But uh, but every time for the first several years that I was with Jem, every time we met her mum, she did recommend Wrong Turn to us. <laughs> she still does. Yeah, that's like your mum and uh, Narcos. <laughs> <laughs> My mum likes not Wrong Turn too, actually. Yeah. Uh, not, not Wrong Turn the sequel. Wrong Turn. Wrong Turn as well. There is a wrong turn too. No, uh, Burr, what about you? Is there a, f- a <coughs> film that you dislike that everyone else is raving about? The Thin Red Line, which is a Terence Malick film about war. Oh, I know that. I know the movie. I, I, I was on TV recently, actually, but I don't think it's, I've seen it. It's very well regarded, and it was one of the worst cinematic experiences that I have ever been subjected to. <laughs> That's saying something because you like really shit films. <laughs> but in this particular case, this was the kind of the counterpart to something like Fight Club, where you went. I went to it not even knowing what it was, not expecting anything, and was pleasantly surprised. In this case, I went to the cinema again with a couple of my friends and um, ponderous, uh, navel gazing, <laughs> wanky, pretentious war movie that was just painful to watch from start to finish and the worst part of it was that for the last 45 minutes it had about six or seven different points at which i was convinced it was finished i just went on and it just kept going on and on and on and you know eventually like after about the fifth one of these fake endings you know where it would like it was a natural end to the movie and it would fade to black and you'd be like oh thank god and then nope picks back up again for the next you know 10 minutes it was just a, a great relief to get out of that cinema at the end. Cool. Okay, well, thank you very much, lads. Well, I think we better get into Star Trek. Uh, but before we get into all that, con, do you want to tell everyone what they are listening to? You're listening to Silver Screamers. Silver Screamers is our film podcast where we take a theme or genre and dissect four films in that theme or genre from different decades. And this week we are covering Star Trek First Contact in our Star Trek series. Yep, and we have our lovely guests, Bernard and Jem. And before we kind of get into this, obviously Connor is into Star Trek, I'm not. Jem, we'll maybe just ask about your kind of history with Star Trek in general. Do you have any history with Star Trek? Like, I mentioned them all through, yeah. <laughs> We'll go to Bernard first. You obviously do. Yes. You're a big fan. Yes. So why? So this is kind of my mission for this series, is to like, because I don't dislike Star Trek, right? Mm. But I don't get... 
it doesn't get me very excited. And the Borg episodes have been the most excited. So why is Star Trek so good? Is mm. that another Maltese? <laughs> <laughs> You'll come back in 45 minutes or so. Why is Star Trek so good? Um, I suppose partly because it was, you know, it started, certainly the next generation, which is the first Star Trek series that I really watched, started when I was um, seven, so it would have been running while I kind of, you know, came of age in my early teenage years. And uh, it was the science fiction show that was on at the time, or, or certainly one of the most prominent ones. I found it a very compelling show. It's like, basically, it's it's kind of, you know, ethical quandaries in space with a very compelling and and very watchable and likable set of characters that you you know you enjoy watching every week and you enjoy being part of their adventures that was the case of the next generation so there was that was on for seven seasons and by the end of it you know it was kind of like you'd spent seven years with this crew had become so familiar with them that uh, it was you know it was kind of appointment viewing every week certainly for me and then um, after that, it went into Deep Space Nine, which was the next series, kind of passed the baton from the next generation to Deep Space Nine. And that was a very different series, but it was it was kind of full of uh, political intrigue about um, this, you know, at the frontiers of Federation space. And totally different series, totally different uh, feel to it, obviously totally different. Well, actually not an entirely different cast because uh, Colin Meany, who was the uh, transporter chief on the Enterprise and Star Trek the Next Generation, actually ended up transferring over to Deep Space Nine as the chief of operations. Colomini, who was uh, taught by uh, our dad back in oh, his wow. uh, secondary school days. yeah. Really? Yeah. I would have thought he was the same age as your dad. Uh, no, he's, no. <laughs> he's a good at least 20 years younger, I'd say. Really? God, that's, that's cool. I didn't know that. And Colomini's not in the films, though, is he? Or he's not in this. He's not in. No, he was. He was um, a minor character in the next generation. Right. Okay. He was like in it every now and then as the transporter chief. By the time the movies came out, he was on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, he was on Deep Space Nine. Uh, okay. And are you a Picard kid? Are you a Kirk kid? Or are you a Janeway kid? I feel like this is a trick question, but uh, Picard. I uh, Kirk um, was too. Kirk was before my time, and uh, Janeway. Can fuck off. <laughs> was Janeway? Why is Janeway so? Uh, I, 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 that's the impression I'm getting is that Janeway was not as popular as the others. Yet mm. I feel like Janeway is way more popular than the other. Ca- like I don't even know who the Deep Space Nine captain was. Cisco. I feel Benjamin like ja- Cisco. I feel like Janeway it has a bigger place in popular culture than Cisco. Is it, it good? It could she's the first female captain. Maybe I don't know. I don't think that's warranted. Cisco was. I think Cisco was an amazing was an amazing character and better than Janeway in, in, in that regard. But I think Janeway, part of the problem was that Kate Mulgrew seemed very stilted in the role and very kind of practiced. And it was, I think her portrayal of, of Janeway was pretty unconvincing for the most part. I think Kate Mulgrew is a first and foremost to me seems like a theatre actress and doesn't know how to translate into film acting Mm. so that it doesn't look as stagey and I think she's very rehearsed you don't think she's natural no I don't think she's natural particularly natural in orange either but and I think I said like her facial expressions for instance are always very exaggerated (laughs) very exaggerated 
she has I d- and to be fair to Kate Mulgrew I don't think the character was written particularly well mm. um, I think Forger wasn't very well received in general it wasn't just Janeway it was no it had some great episodes it did um, but no I don't think any of the characters were as compelling as the next generation characters but it also had that episode where they found um, dinosaurs in space that oh, yes. were descended from the dinosaurs that had evacuated Earth before the meteor strike 65 million years ago yeah that sounds Awesome. Well, we can watch that episode. Um, she was a bit of a, and I think I said that she was a bit of a Mary, si- Mary Sue, where Voyager would get into all this kind of trouble and she would just always have the answer. Whereas Picard would rely on his crew. Options. Options. You know, what am I doing here? Help. That's very good. I thought that's <laughs> It was always Janeway. Jamie always solved everything, which, which wasn't very compelling. Much. Interesting, though, uh, which ties into what we're, the movie we're talking about today, the first episode of Deep Space Nine. Yes, I was telling Gem this, actually. Uh, the first episode of Deep Space Nine features Picard, and uh, in it, he is, I think he, he's, at, he's at Deep Space Nine for some reason, possibly to give Cisco his commission, I think. He's com- yeah. Yeah. And uh, Cisco enters... Uh, Picard's, the conf- I think it's the conference room on the Enterprise, and there's a very frosty reception between them, and uh, Picard picks up on this and, and asks, uh, you know, have we met before? And Cisco replies, uh, once, sir, in battle at Wolf 359, which is the name of the, uh, the, name of the uh, planetary system where the Borg engaged the Federation fleet while Picard was assimilated by the Borg and essentially decimated them. And Cisco was in that fight. We didn't see it. That, so that was part of the Best of Both Worlds uh, episode, two-part episode of The Next Generation. And we didn't see the fight from the perspective of the, the Federation fleet. We only saw the devastation that was you know, the Enterprise when they eventually got there, missed the battle, and uh, all we saw was the debris of uh, 40-odd starships. But in the first episode of Deep Space Nine, you actually see it from the perspective of Cisco, who was fighting in that battle. And, and lost he, his wife. And lost his wife in that battle. And uh, <coughs> so there was no love spared between himself and Picard. Mm. Um, and as soon as... It's as soon Picard's as, uh, fault. He was assimilated. Well, yeah, but I mean... I uh, think... Uh, as I, soon I, as Cisco says that, like, as soon as Cisco says, we met once in battle at Wolf Street from Nine, like, Picard's face just falls. And mm. Does that mean that... So do you know... We're kind of getting into First Contact then, mm. because... I thought one of the things I thought was interesting that kind of struck me as unusual is that they send Picard away at the start of First Contact because they're like, oh no, we, we can't have you near the Borg. And I was like, isn't he the person that you would most want? That's a good point, in which Riker, I believe, echoed in the movie. Right. Mm. So that was that was a major fuck-up by Starfleet. Because then when he, when he does get there, he does really well. I think that's, I think probably, without wanting to get into too much into the plot, but I think probably the reason is that the last time the Borg assimilated Picard specifically to gain his strategic and tactical edge, mm-hmm. which would have worked had it not been for uh, Riker managing to get Picard back off the Borg cube just in time and, and reversing, you know, kind of uh, using Picard as a window into the Borg consciousness rather sleep, than... Data. Sleep, sleep. Data, sleep. Data, sleep. When um, he was assimilated... Yes. Does he lose? Did the Borg lose the knowledge that they got from them, or is it they have it all the time? Uh no, they would they would retain that. I, I would presume. 
you know, that he would have had all these defense codes and stuff into, yeah, and yeah. you know, would have been able to get past all the uh, shields of all the spaceships and whatever. I guess um, Starfleet probably would have been concerned that the Borg might take the opportunity to try and reassimilate him and to give him another advantage in the battle. Yeah. So, Jem, just before we move on and talk about the, and maybe do our synopsis, uh, Bernard's told us his history with Star Trek. Do you have any history with Star Trek, or is it very much a, and you're looking blank. Jem's face is looking fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Pity it's a podcast. I used to watch it when I was, uh, like, a teenager. It would be on when I came home from school. It would be on in the evening. And would that be The Next Generation? No, it was uh, the one with Kirk. So they would have been yeah. reruns because you weren't going to school in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, and it was a replay. They used to play an episode a day on BBC Two every day. So we used to sit, sit and watch that with dinner or after dinner or whatever. Yeah. But I wouldn't have, like if I was going out, I wouldn't have been like, oh no, no Star Trek today. <laughs> Put it on the VHS to record it. Yeah, no. Uh, and what about the movies? Have you seen, would you have gone to the movies? or? or? I've seen all the new ones. And the have you, the Picard ones? I hadn't seen it before seen this the, week. Any of the Kirk ones? No, no, I've only seen the new ones. Traditionally, our guests do the synopsis. So how this works, Bernard, is you just give a synopsis of the film in 2 minutes and 40 seconds, which seems loads of time. It ain't. (coughs) This is going to take at least 15 Maltesers. So are you okay to do it? Yeah. Okay. Are you timing me? Is yeah. we'll, put a time, right we'll put a timer on. It doesn't matter if you go over. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Everyone goes over. Um, I mean, within, within reason. I mean, not like half an hour. Oh, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We're an hour in. We're only doing the synopsis. Try your best to get it in time. Okay. Right. And we will, at various points, say 30 seconds or so on. Okay. The key thing is don't go into anything, any one particular thing in yeah. too much detail. All right. Overview. Okay. Okay. Two, one, go. Star Trek First Contact is the eighth uh, movie in the Star Trek series. It picks up uh, following the events of two, two or three Next Generation episodes, particularly The Best of Both Worlds, in which Picard was assimilated by the Borg during their first assault on Earth in an attempt to assimilate the planet. Uh, um, at the beginning of First Contact, Picard is made aware of a Borg cube that is heading towards Earth to, uh, in a, another attempt to assault, uh, to assault and assimilate Earth. Um, the crew was originally uh, told to stay away because of Picard's history with the Borg. Uh, Starfleet would f- fearing that he may be reassimilated or otherwise used against them. Uh, there's also the implication that Picard can still, in some sense, hear the Borg collective thought, even despite having been deassimilated. So eventually the Enterprise decide, uh, after a short amount of consideration, to, uh, to, as Data says, to hell with our orders. And uh, they join the fight and they, to Picard, picking up on the Borg collective consciousness again, directs the Armada, the Starfleet Armada, to pinpoint their uh, fire on a single point, which does not seem to be a critical system according to Data, but Picard knows what he's doing and the Borg cube blows up. Uh, not before they've managed to save Worf who is fighting in that battle on the Defiant, which is the Deep Space Nine, uh, Deep Space Nine's battleship, Worf having transferred to Deep Space Nine at the end of the Next Generation. Uh, so the, the entire Next Generation crew now reassembled. Um, they blow up the Borg ship. Borg sphere flies out of the uh, of the of the Borg cube. One minute left. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Go on. This is this is not going to work. Go on. 
Uh, Borg Sphere flies out, starts creating uh, some sort of uh, phenomenon in space. The Enterprise pursues, discover, uh, realizes that the Borg, uh, that the Earth has changed into six or nine billion uh, Borg, having been assimilated. They realize that the Borg have traveled back to the past and done something, so they follow them in. End of that one. <laughs> Thirty seconds. <laughs> So it turns out that it turns out that the um, the Enterprise find themselves back in the mid twenty first century with the Borg firing on a particular point on Earth's surface. They blow up the Borg uh, the Borg sphere, thinking that's the end of them. Foreshadowing, it is not. Ten, um, ten seconds. This is. I mean, this is clearly not going to work. I'm going to need at least another two minutes. Okay, and 40 so they're seconds. in the past. They're in the past. They discover that the Borg have gone back in time in order to time. Uh, Keep going. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> they discover that the Borg have gone back in time in order to destroy Zephram Cochran's launch. Warp ship. Uh, Zephram Cochran being the person who, the person from Earth who invented warp drive, uh, faster than light travel. Uh, they are there. To, the Borg have going, are going to prevent the first contact between humans and aliens. Uh, in doing so, make the humans a ripe target for assimilation um, by their compatriots in the past. So, <laughs> what? Okay, so they're in the past. The Borg are on the ship. No, they're, the they're Borg going aren't to, on the ship yet. I haven't said that part yet. They're going to. They're going to destroy first contact, so they can't meet the aliens. The humans won't meet the aliens, and they'll assimilate Earth. Keep going. Okay, okay. Well, just summarize that. That's just wasted twenty seconds. Go on. Uh, okay, so where was I? Yes. Okay, so uh, they beam down to the surface, having destroyed the Borg sphere. They beam down to the surface in order to make sure that everything is is going according to plan. They find that the base has been very badly damaged uh, one of Zephyr Cochran's uh, compatriots uh, uh, Lily is being badly injured by radiation so they beam her up to the ship they uh, find Zephyr Cochran and discover that he's no, not the man that history remembers him to be uh, but they ended up telling him about the, the, the whole situation because they don't think there's any other way what to what was the weather like? <laughs> It was a clear night. Okay, go on. on. Uh, they don't find it. They don't find the thing. There's any other way for them to to uh, get him to do what he needs to do. So, a uh, bunch bunch of Enterprise people on the ground are trying to rebuild the warp ship and make it warp capable so that they can take. They have, there's a deadline because they have to have this flight. They have to do this flight by a certain time in 24 hours, 48 hours. Otherwise, um, the alien ship that that just detected the warp signature will not see it, and there won't be first contact. Won't happen. Um, Data meanwhile, shags that Borg woman. Huh? Data shags Meanwhile, that's, that's much later. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the Borg have taken over the ship. The Borg transported onto the Enterprise have established a, a hive on the ship in engineering and are spreading out across the entire ship. Picard and, uh, beams back with Data to take care of that while the remaining crew stay on the, the surface. Um, so... Picard leads a, um, a mission to try and take back the, uh, the the ship from the Borg. Data gets data gets captured, uh, pulled into engineering. Shags the Borg woman. And it's it's mm-hmm. around this point that we meet the Borg Queen, which is one of the main characters from this movie. What does Data do with her? Uh, Shags <laughs> Can you can you stop? There's no there's no suggestion. <laughs> can you can you stop? Anyway. <laughs> Borg Queen, the Borg Queen is kind of a personification of the collective consciousness of the Borg, and coordinates their activities. Um, and she 
wants Data to undo an encryption that he's put on the central computer so that she can take over the Enterprise. Uh, Data is refusing, but the Borg Queen is trying to persuade him by gradually converting him to have human flesh in place of his uh, cybernetic skin. I feel we could just go and watch the movie again. Yeah. Really come back. The synopsis? Yes. Do you, do you still feel like you're in the synopsis? Zone? I'm just okay. telling what happens one thing at a time. <laughs> yes, you are. So. <laughs> <laughs> one thing at a time. So, so, so Data becomes quite... Data becomes quite enamored of this, and despite the fact that he does try to escape, ultimately he seems to be—he uh, seems to be giving in to the, the Borg woman. He seems to be giving in to the Borg Queen's oh, okay. uh, suggestions. And then what? Just keep going. <laughs> it doesn't matter that Data's enamored. Go on, keep okay. going. So, uh, meanwhile, Wait, who is Data? <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> Episode One: Star Trek: The Next Generation. Encounter at Farpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Picard has discovered what the Borg are trying to do. We're about six minutes over. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, Picard has discovered what the Borg are trying to do. They're trying to, to they're trying to use the deflector array to send a signal to the Borg in that time, telling them to come to Earth to assimilate it. So they stop them. So himself and Worf so and they stop them. Ensign Redshirt go out into the deflector dish, and there's a zero gravity uh, battle with the Borg. And do they and stop them? In the, in the end, they stop them from yeah, doing okay, it. Okay, go on. Uh, the Borg Queen is quite enraged by this and began and begins uh, expanding in the ship again. Meanwhile, down on the surface, uh, they have successfully repaired the warp ship. Zephram Cochran ran off, uh, scared of the legacy that he supposedly is going to leave to the future. Um, but they managed to bring him back and convince him that he, he has to do this. So uh, in the end, Picard uh, has a confrontation where he's telling people the, the Borg have adapted to all their phasers. They've got nothing left to throw at them. And Picard is telling his crew, you know, stand your ground, fight them, uh, fight them hand to hand if you need to. And everyone's like, what the fuck? No, that's 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 stupid. We're definitely I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I missed that part. I should go back and, and tell you about it. No. Um, but uh, uh, and he accuses Worf of being a coward which doesn't sit well well with Worf, who says, if you are any other man, I would kill you where you stand. Uh, Which is one of the highlights of the movie, I think. It's it's, it's a good bit. Um, So everyone thinks that they should blow up the ship, go to the escape pods, blow up the ship, take out all the Borg. Picard is very much against this idea, until Lily confronts him and uh, accuses him of being Captain Ahab, uh, obsessed with killing the Borg at any any cost. And uh, there's a great scene where she confronts him and Picard uh, Picard has that uh, great no uh, no no they invade our space so they decide to blow up the ship anyway uh, let me recite I, let no, me, the only reason I'm doing this podcast is so I can say this line uh, you could say this when we're talking about okay, the movie fine 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 so Picard agrees to blow up the ship after a great a great speech that I'll, I'll we'll talk about later um, and so they all go to the escape pods but Picard stays behind because Data's still on the ship and you know, they risked their lives to save him when he was assimilated, so now he's doing the same. So he goes to engineering and uh, meets the Borg Queen, realises that she was in his head the whole time when he was assimilated. And uh, Data, and, and so she, he offers himself uh, as her consort in exchange for letting Data go. But uh, Data says, no, I don't want to go. And it seems like he has uh, gone over to the Borg Queen's side. So... Um, he targets he unlocks the computer targets the warp ship which is now taking off and preparing to go to warp to make first contact uh, and 
you know, the Borg Queen says, oh, fire, and he fires the quantum torpedoes, and the Borg Queen is watching them flying towards the ship and says, watch, watch your, your future's, future's end. end. And then they sort, they, these quantum torpedoes go flying towards the warp ship, and they just miss it. And the Data. Borg Queen turns around and goes, Data! And Data... What am I like? <laughs> Data, who has positioned himself next to the Please coolant... Please stop doing that. <laughs> Data, who has positioned himself next to the coolant tubes, which uh, <coughs> will, dissolve, uh, will dissolve organic flesh and therefore kill the Borg, says, resistance is futile. Breaks the uh, coolant tube. All the coolant floods out. And Picard manages to jump up and pull himself up onto a, uh, a rope that's hanging from the ceiling. Picard escapes. The Borg Queen dies. Picard, Everybody Picard lives. Picard escapes. First Picard escapes. The Borg Queen falls down and gets dissolved and, and dies. Uh, all the other Borg can't survive without her, so they all die. And uh, Picard comes down and Data confesses to having been tempted by, by the offer for 0.68 seconds, which is for an android in eternity. Um, so they go down to the planet and they find that Zephyr Cochrane's flight has been successful. A Vulcan ship lands and first contact is made. And they go back and to the future and that's it. The Enterprise uses the, in, in a very kind of, you know, very much an, an aside, which doesn't really explain how they have now mastered time travel and because this doesn't come into it again, they manage to recreate the conditions of the Borg sphere and return to their own time in the future, the end. Yay! No, nice. you forgot to mention that the credits roll after that, and then they come up very slowly. Oh, the credits! Yeah, the there's also a very long credit sequence at the beginning, actually. And uh, I liked it. So uh, I'm Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have time for. So you had your two minutes and forty. Yep. And then you had about another two minutes and forty, uh-huh. and then I started a stopwatch. Yep. And that went on for seven minutes. Okay. Well, I mean, you so shouldn't. You shouldn't, you you shouldn't 11 allocate eleven minutes. You shouldn't allocate two minutes and forty seconds for something that takes that that takes ten minutes. I think you're missing the point of our <laughs> quick synopsis. Well, you, know, you got a you got a comprehensive synopsis. You still didn't let me say the Picard line. I wanted. I better get to say that. <laughs> okay, okay. You can say it now. You can say it now. Yeah. Okay. So when Lily is confronting him in his ready room, and you know they're having the conversation about Ahab. Um, Picard becomes enraged and goes, no, no, smashes his display cabinet full of the uh, models of the previous Enterprise ships, turns towards her and says, they invade our space and we fall back. They assimilate entire civilizations and we fall back. No longer. The line must be drawn here. This far, no further. No, it's this far and no further. And then just a pause. And I will make make them them pay for for what what they've they've done. done. Brilliant. Classic good. Picard moment. Right. Okay. Should we talk about the movie? Well, you know me, I'm not a Star Trek person. I really enjoyed this film. Hey! I did. So, I have, I don't know if you listened to our Rathacan episode. You haven't, uh, Jem, you haven't seen Rathacan? Yes. No. No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had problems with it. So, in my, my, my thing with Star Trek, even though it's not really my thing, my... My understanding was what made Star Trek interesting, and you kind of said this earlier on, was these ethical quandaries and like these space ethical quandaries. And that to me is what sci-fi is all about. Is that like, oh, it's like these are questions that we won't have to face yet, but in the future they we might have to, you know? And Rathacan had none of that. I felt Rathacan was just a space revenge film, really. Mm. And also I felt the interesting thing about it is it's a team of people with very different skill sets using their skill sets to persevere. And Rathacan really just was Kirk and Spock. The other cast were really... And if it had been another franchise and you had this plot, you would have cut half those characters out. They didn't bring anything to the film. This film 
doesn't do any of that. This film has an ensemble cast where everyone gets to do something. Mm. Everyone gets to show their skills. They all have little moments where they get to shine. Like Diana has her little drunk scene and yeah. and then Riker and Jordy, yeah. They have their fun adventures on planet and they're having a great time. They're yeah. big smiles on the face the whole time. Data has his uh D- Data <laughs> has his whole <laughs> his whole subplot and then Picard is very much the main character and then it introduces two other characters that with Lily and then your man on Earth never been in it before Mm. yeah both of them have arcs this film squeezes a huge amount of stuff into a relatively short time so I think a big success I think this is a far superior film to Rathacan not not wanting to turn the interview around but what did you think of the Borg Queen as a villain brilliant she was great another issue I sometimes have with Star Trek is I don't feel the aliens are very alien Mm. Like I do, th- the Vulcans. I don't just mean alien in terms of, in terms of like that they're like octopus and stuff because you know there's budgets and stuff. But like the Vulcans do seem alien in the way they go on and stuff. But a lot of, like Whoopi Goldberg's character is an alien, right? Yeah. She just looks. She just acts and looks like a human. She just look, mm. acts, acts and looks like a human. The Borg Queen is very, very alien. alien yeah. And and even though she's weird looking, kind of sexy, <laughs> right? She's kind of sexy, right? You're a heterosexual man. Is the Borg Queen sexy. <laughs> I will plead the fifth <laughs> on this question. She is. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she has a. She has a. She definitely has a sexuality about her, you know. And when she's coming on to data, she is. You could see why another android. I'm would. sure there is Borg Queen porn out there. Oh, I'm absolutely. I've got no doubt of that at all. Oh. Although I wouldn't know from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> little disclaimer uh there's there there are some nice little easter eggs in the movie as well so when for example the board queen is coming on to data and uh bernard's nodding his head because he knows what i'm going to say in one of the earliest episodes of star trek the next generation the crew gets some virus or something and it intoxicates the crew and data is affected as well and uh tasha yar who was a character in the first season who dies at the end of the first season uh, seduces seduces data um, and when the Borg queen is coming on she says coming on to him she says you know do you are you familiar with physical forms of pleasure and he says if you're referring to sexuality I'm fully functional which is what he says to Tashi R as well um, fully functional programmed in a wide variety of techniques <laughs> data's a sex bot is what you're saying <laughs> and when she asks how long has it been since he used them? He says eight years, eight years however long, yeah. which would have been about the right time yeah. For, yeah, for the first for the first. The first so there's a nice little Easter eggs in there for, for major fans. So um, let's do a run through of the characters and let's start with Lily. Who was your favorite character, Tim? Yeah, I liked Lily, um, I, but I can barely remember the movie, so <laughs> I don't remember why. That is one thing about this film is that I really enjoyed it, but when you did your synopsis there I have to say that was really helpful to me in a, in a year's time I won't have a clue what happens in this film oh that's not a, that's a bit of an indictment of the film yeah and I'm not sure why that is the case because it's Star Trek and you don't really have an interest in Star Trek that's kind of irrelevant I don't think I'm like averse to it but, but Lily was great she was just this really cool character who was totally lost and then she became obviously the the Picard and her had this relationship where he was very much the, you know, looking after her. But she ends up being his saviour, which is just... Yeah, yeah. she did a good kind of... She was like a fish out of water, but she ended up being his kind of, you know, muse, I suppose, to get 
to get his thing on. She mm-hmm. she kind of ended up being a bit of his conscience. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and turning turning things around. Uh, I thought she played the part of that fish out of water brilliantly. Yeah, she's and amazing. She, she had some yeah. really good lines, like, it's my first ray gun. Mm. Um, but oh, she's the, actually... The Borg sounds Swedish. Sounds Swedish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I laughed out loud at that part. Actually. Even when she... When you, they're walking through the ship and they first encounter the Borg and they're walking through the Borg yeah you get a perspective of the Borg looking at it and she's making these faces yeah. screaming yeah. in their faces it's, it's very good yeah so that's Alfre uh, Woodard was her name yeah, yeah she pops up in a few things she yeah, was she, I recognised her from she's been in a bunch of other stuff she, she was in Civil War yeah she was at the start of Civil War she's the woman who says my child died in uh, Sokovia oh she, yeah. she confronts Tony Stark her son died Oh. And she's the and um, she's kind of the one who instigates Tony to sign the accords. She's an actress that's good at making powerful men reconsider their actions. <laughs> As a sort of second secondary character, probably one of the main characters, but she has some great <coughs> scenes, uh, like waking up in she she wakes up in sick bay and freaks out because there's Borg banging at the the door. Yeah, she's in the holodeck program. So she, she's, yeah, she's, she's an excellent character. What I liked about actually that when she does confront Picard because she's the only one who isn't uh, an officer bound by Starfleet regulations to to go with the captain's orders. But uh, what I liked about it was the fact that like part of the conversation between her and Picard had been how advanced everything was in the future, war, poverty was gone, and uh, you know there was no money anymore, and everyone was very enlightened. And in that scene, she says to Picard, "Oh, it's so simple." The Borg hurt you, so now you're going to hurt them. And Picard is like, we've moved beyond, you know, petty notions of revenge or yeah. anything. And she just says, bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was good, I think, because uh, one thing that is often said about Star Trek is that it, it kind of presents a very utopian vision of the future where everyone is very, for the most part, very, very enlightened and, you know, uh, and occasionally a little bit self-satisfied about it. And I thought that was a good example of mm. someone puncturing Picard's self-righteousness about... Because it was very evident that, you know, he hated the Borg because of what they had done to him. They didn't do, yeah. yeah. And that kind of goes back to that first episode of Deep Space Nine, as you said, when Cisco confronts him, his whole demeanor changes. And yeah. he's very, very... He's embarrassed and he's... He, very self-conscious about the atrocities that he committed as a Borg. But that's even in, in the new Picard series as well. Like, There's a bit of that because part of the Picard series is that the Romulans have captured a Borg, well not captured, a Borg, an inoperative Borg cube mm. that they refer to as the artifact and they're freeing Borg drones from it. Part of it is that he, that kind of brings back some memories for him and at one point he has a conversation with Seven of Nine who's a character from Voyager who was also assimilated by the Borg and then freed where uh, she asks him if he ever, you know, did you do you think you reclaimed your humanity after you uh, removed from the from the collective? And he says, yes. And she says, all of it. And he kind of pauses and says, no. One interesting tie back to the last movie we did, which is Wrath of Khan, is they are both, to a certain degree, uh, revenge films. Mm. And in the first one of the first scenes in the Wrath of Khan, where they beam down to what they think is city off of five they go into Khan's ship and on the shelf is an old copy of Moby Dick uh. 
and in the great dialogue that Lily has with Picard, she also refers to Moby Dick and mm. it's Captain Ahab on the hunt. They could have come up with, I'm sure, another analogy. But <laughs> <laughs> I love Herman Melville, the Star Trek writers. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned, which I I don't necessarily know if it w- was the case, but you said you thought that Lily and Zephyrin Cochran might be a couple. Yeah, well, they were holding hands a few times and... When I when you when they were together, I was like, "Is are they a couple?" But then when they were apart, they didn't seem that concerned <laughs> about that they weren't with the other one. Like he wasn't exactly like, "Where's Lily?" Well, no, there was one part where like uh, when they first show him the ship, he's like, "And Lily's up there right now." So they'd obviously told her, him that she was up there and and was safe and being looked after. Yeah, I, I kind of got the impression though they were all hippies, uh, <laughs> yeah. so maybe it was a bit of a free love thing yeah. going on. Uh, it was sp- after the Third World War, wasn't it? Yeah. And they were kind of rebuilding civilization, I guess. So I figured it was like a hippie kind of encampment. So, <laughs> so do you think they were like lovers? Uh, um. I mean, good for him. Yeah, I, think it, I mean, they could have been. I um, didn't get that. Imp- I didn't get that impression. I thought they were just. Yeah, but they could be. You know, because like, they yeah. wouldn't have been like it wasn't like a love story kind of a film, was it? Apart from Data shagging that woman. <laughs> Why must you continue with the But But also, Lily had quite a bit of chemistry. I think Picard had a bit of a thing for Lily. I don't know if she had a thing for Picard, but he was he was giving her yeah, a nice yeah. little peck on the cheek there. And I think he was hoping that maybe she would do more. <laughs> maybe maybe if they ended up uh, abandoning the Enterprise, they would have met up on whatever. And he, he was like, Satin, I, I have this dress. Um, I think you'd look nice in this. It's uh, And it was quite um, sexy. Oh, something in Saturn on the holodeck. Yeah. It's strange because in the series, uh, Riker is kind of the ladies' man, but the in the Lothario. movies, Picard yeah. tends to tends to have more of the romantic encounters. That's right, actually. Yeah, an insurrection, which we won't be covering, uh, he ends up getting the girl, yeah. I guess. But he never <laughs> seals the deal. He never consummates. No. He did have in that episode where the probe, in the episode of The Next Generation, yeah, the probe yeah. put him into that. He fantasy world he lived an entire world in entire, world, world, in entire life time in this alien civilization yeah, yeah. so here's, here's this is kind of silly sci-fi thing so it doesn't affect the plot at all right but whatever so when they go into the, the holodeck is like the, basically the x-men's danger room right where they can sim the holograms and stuff so yeah. all those people were just holograms yes but they're solid holograms because obviously yes. they get guns and were those were the clothes they were wearing holograms or were they or because the, or were they? Or is the computer just because they when they go to Earth they're wearing clothes that are appropriate to the timeline? And I'm I, so they're, I, they're hardly wearing holograms the entire no, time. No, 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 no. The, the clothes that they the clothes that they they are wearing on Earth are real holograms. They can't exist outside of the holodeck. So so Picard and her they're they're not they're still wearing their normal clothes. They're, yeah. they're just, all right. So that makes me that made me think. She's got a lot of cleavage showing. So is that not really her cleavage? Is the hologram <laughs> just putting like? <laughs> fake cleavage and they're like yeah. and it also she was also like looking all made up and she had lovely earrings and stuff was it like hologram makeup because that's kind of you would think that if she had gone into there and that these things had just appeared she would have been like what the fuck is going on ooh look at those boobs <laughs> look at my boobs what was the year it was 20 I'm sure the computer was just extrapolating from the available data <laughs> it was 2060 something wasn't it 23 yeah 20 no when, no, when they, when they back were back, back it was like 2062 oh, or something. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 2060 something. Yeah. I found the fashion choice quite interesting. Yeah, it was like, a choice, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like that we're all going to be wearing these robes and things in yeah. you know, 40 years from now. I We mentioned this in another podcast and I can't think of what it was. But I'm always interested in when a film does something futuristic the for the time. Mm. No, no, no. And it, then you approach it. But then we overtake that time. Was that yeah. with the Back to the Future when we overtook the... No, I know that, does, yeah, that was a big thing at the yeah. time. Or but Blade Runner. Um, no, it was for a film we did on the podcast. <coughs> I think the last one you were talking about... Pop cu- today pop culture references which are made in these movies which are hundreds of years in the future yeah no but I definitely did talk of there's one film that we've done that's over that uh, you know it was it was uh, it was Escape from New York because Escape from oh, New York yeah, yeah. Is, was made in the 70s but it's set in like no, it's like, like, it was 80s, 80s but it was set in like 2001 or something right yeah, yeah so we've passed so I always just think that's interesting to think so eventually we will reach this the 2060s yeah and then when you watch this film then we'll be like oh we thought we would have first contact <laughs> we yeah. had first contact in the 40s <laughs> <laughs> that's well, an sweet, interesting thing though because like if you think about it like a hundred years ago nobody watched movies so mm. the movies that we're watching now people in 300 or 500 years are going to be able to watch them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's bizarre yeah the thing is like when this movie was made the 20 20 i think it was 2065 or whatever it was that was 70 years in the future which seems like an awful long time mm. but now it's only like 40, 40 years in the future yeah. which is very young <laughs> <laughs> practically no time at all you'll be 80 <laughs> well we have to pass through a world war three though if we last until the 2060s we'll be looking to be the, the, the film makes some kind of s- stark predictions about a third world war and 600 million dead oh, i think know. i would have put it maybe in 2160 would, would, would probably be better but I, I guess probably the time probably the time at which zephram cochran invented war travel and achieved first contact was probably established back in the original series at some point yeah yeah maybe. because actually it would have been so 20, 2065 would have been exactly 100 years after the start of the original series so right, that's right, right. probably yeah. why but they're good for continuity like that Star Trek mm. so maybe we'll talk uh, we finish with Lily uh, yeah would you want to talk about Zephyr because he's the only non-Star Trek character and then we can move on to the main he's, generation he, he is a Star Trek character as, he's it, been he's been part of the lore for a long time oh well okay okay but I guess he's not you know uh, Farmer Hackers from Dave <laughs> uh, isn't a Star Trek regular let's yeah. say uh, yeah and I, I thought that was like had I thought okay Star Trek are going to introduce you to the character who invented warp speed that wasn't the character that I was that was great I loved that about yes. him though I loved that they were all like going full fanboy over him yeah. yes and fangirl over him um, and I liked and I liked the fact that he, that he was kind of really perturbed by the fact yeah. that he was going to become this big and have a statue like that that was the thing that made him yeah, go yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah. a statue kind of thing. <laughs> they thought outside the box when they wrote him yeah it yeah. was really Riker's good like you told him about the statue <laughs> 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 and in regards to Riker and Geordi mm. I thought I'd say those the two actors were like they got to be quite joyful like yeah, most yeah. of their their scenes they were like smiling and they were like having the time yeah, of their life yeah. and everyone else was on the ship shitting their pants <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and Borg. Um, that must have been fun for them yeah to get that and it was nice for those characters to have like, significant scenes uh, that were uh, yeah fun to play and I liked and they got to have like the bro thing going on as well where like Zeph from Cochran would say something and they'd look at each other and like roll their eyes or be like oh, yeah. what do you like yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 there's also that great bit in when um, Riker and Cochran were in the, the ship after they managed to drag Cochran back to actually do the flight when he tries to run away 
um, where Riker is like, you know, talking to him about it, and, uh, and Cochrane's like, I, you know, everyone thinks I'm this great visionary. You know, my vision was, you know, dollar signs, money. I did this so I could retire to a, uh, an island full of naked women. That's that's Zephyr Cochrane's vision. And Riker says, uh, someone once said, don't try to be a great man. Just try to be a man and let history make its judgment. And Cochrane goes, that's rhetorical yeah, nonsense. That's Who said that? <laughs> you did in 10 years time. Yeah. But did he really say it? Well, he and may- will maybe he, he will now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, he had some really great scenes. The scenes where he's drunk with Diana. He's coming uh, yeah. on to Diana. He sobers up very quickly then when they start showing him the ship and... Uh, <laughs> when they give him the telescope to look through I remember the first time I was watching this you know you'd see this big enterprise or whatever and just this tiny little thing moving across the screen and I was thinking would you believe that you know it's, it's this <laughs> tiny little you see someone with like a little puppet, uh, paper puppet <laughs> George, George, <laughs> little thing on a stick one thing though that confused me was they've beamed down they've met Seth from Cochrane they he's brash and all that kind of stuff and we have a little another cameo from uh, Barkley. Oh yeah, Reg Barkley. Reg Barkley, who yeah, was a yeah. another character in the Next Generation, who kind of came in and out and was a minor, yeah, a minor character. character. But it kind of became almost like a fan favorite. Yeah, say. and they 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 got him in. It. He was the guy in the A team that I told you about. But they're down there. They're having this great time. Their smiles and all the rest of it. And up up in the Enterprise, the Borg are taking over. Yeah. And they're like, well, we've lost contact with the Enterprise. We don't exactly know why yet. Wouldn't you be kind of thinking, well, would somebody not just beam down and tell us? Or maybe the Borg actually, you know, we've just had an encounter with the Borg. They're pretty smart. Maybe there's something not quite right here. Yeah, the Enterprise was damaged when it came through the wormhole in the beginning. Their shields were down. They were in a lot of their systems were inoperative. So, and they were so they were trying to repair the ship while the rest of them were down on the the, planet, the surface. Mm. So I guess they probably thought, now yeah, she must be having some trouble at the moment. Yeah. But just before um, Picard goes back to the ship, he hears the Borg. Would it not have made sense to say, "I think I've just heard, had another hearing of the Borg, so I'm going to go back to the ship." I think that I think that Picard was probably at that point like mm, I just have a bad feeling maybe this is nothing mm. but also because like you, there's only so many times you can say I'm hearing voices in my head because people <laughs> yeah. start questioning your ca- competence as captain another thing when they show him Zephyr Cock in the ship and he says and Lily's up there can I talk to her and then they say oh we've lost contact with the Enterprise we're not entirely sure wouldn't you kind of go oh how convenient so there's a big spaceship up there <laughs> but you can't talk to them oh right okay also, th- there was a before the crew went down there was the Borg attacked yeah yeah and and uh, yeah and a lot of people died right um, yeah. there was no direct there was no direct indication con- confirmation of that on screen but I presume well some people didn't died didn't say like 60 people died no. in there no, they didn't say that. There was some people they found in the underground bunker that was being targeted by the okay. ship were dead. I imagined the people that were meant to go in warp speed with Zephram. Zephram. They died because why else would Geordi and Riker. Riker go with them? Right? Because, I mean, I imagine if I was going to go on warp speed on this mission you know like you got Neil Armstrong and then you also got Buzz Aldrin and then the third guy that nobody remembers Michael Collins right 
Uh, yeah, I should know that. Uh, everybody, they're really famous. They've studied for years. Yeah. And I imagine I would be a little bit teed off if I was set to be in this... Show. You know, there was three seats there. And then suddenly Zephyr's like, oh, no, I just made friends with these guys <laughs> from the future. <laughs> so you know, so I, my, 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 my thought was that, well, they obviously died, right? But, therefore, but it didn't seem like the atmosphere was one of post-massacre. Yeah, funeral. I think probably it might have been just that like they had three seats in the cockpit, but maybe he did do the in- initial flight by himself. It didn't seem like Lily was going to go with him. No, I, I just, I just, I just think they didn't mention it. It just, they just moved on. <laughs> it was interesting that there was no consideration for the consequences of meddling with time. Well, because that, like even when Star Trek ships like they don't go into other civilizations, do they? Unless they've that's the, already yeah, yeah, made yeah, prime time. directive. Yeah, so it was interesting then that was there was no consideration for the consequences of going back and you know going back through the time thing. Well, I yeah, suppose the yeah. Borg went through first. Yeah, they dealt with this. I mean, yeah, the, the so Borg went would, through they first. They were stopping they the Borg from meddling with the timeline. They could they, have. They, they saw have. what happened to Earth if they didn't go back. I guess yeah. and the, yeah. the alternative was yeah, the, yeah. But, but Jim is dead right. There is definitely an alternate way that we can let's help these guys as much as possible without. Yeah, being that's that that was kind of my thesis statement for this was how like time travel really doesn't really work if you examine it too closely and you just have to kind of ignore it. But they were for this film they were like whatever, whatever because yeah. they weren't skewed. like in the history books. Who who was the who are the two say so who are the two people that went to space with Zephron? Mm. Ah, just, don't worry. Their about names it. have been lost to history. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, wow. yeah. it would have been cool in in that episode of Enterprise if just in the background you saw like Riker or something. Yeah, just kind just of just Riker, like, wandering on screen and going, oh shit, that can't be me. I wear a visor. <laughs> well, he doesn't in this actually. But having looked at it. In oh the yeah. Past, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, how good for him! He finally got to act with his eyes. Yeah, I, I know. Do you know uh, the actor who plays Cyclops in the original three Cyclo- uh, X Men films? James, James Marsters. Marsters. I was going to say Marsden. That's no, it is Mar- Spike from Buffy. Yeah, no, Marsters is Spike. Spike. And Marsden. Okay, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a great actor, uh, but he was not great in that role. Mm. And he always put down. He said it was incredibly hard to act without the use of his eyes. Yeah, he yeah. says like uh, he just found it so hard to connect with his fellow actors and, and to emote. And I have to look at this. Lev, Levar, Levar Burton, who played Jordy. He he was crippled with that for years, having to act with that. And it was nice that he. They were like, no, we've invented Bionic Eyes. It's grand. In, he still had to wear those gigantic contacts, though. Yeah. yeah. In uh, Insurrection. Upgrade. In Star Trek Insurrection, actually, they he his eyes begin grow, to regenerate. regenerate, and he yeah. gets to see a sunrise for the first time. And that's, oh. an, that's a lovely scene he has, actually. He's lovely. I really like Geordi as a character. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about Geordi then. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I, 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 he has plenty of scenes in this, and they're all charming, but he doesn't have an arc or anything, so it's hard to... I, I think he does a great job. He's a great yeah. actor. What a cool name, LeVar. Mm. He had a much larger... I don't know about a larger role, but a larger, a more significant role in Generations, which is the yeah, first is. movie yeah. where he was actually captured and then returned to the ship. And he was, <coughs> his visor was the... Hacked, basically. Hacked, to, yeah. So, I mean, he, his, he had a more pivotal role in the plot. And that, that film doesn't do as good a job, though, at, I don't think, at distributing screen time for all the cast. I think he was one of the lucky ones who ha- happened to have a pivotal role. And I still think he was, it was, he was more fun to watch in this film. 
It was it was fun watching him fanboy over his Ephraim Cochran as much as yeah. as much as the other guys. Because he just, as soon as he gives out to Reg, going Reg, get out of here, he starts fanboying himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if there's a whole lot. Him and Jordy were they had a good nice bit of screen time, but I don't know if there's anything massive to talk about regarding the roles in this film. As, as and the same with D- Diana, I can is it Diana? Diana. Her too. She they gave her one little funny scene where she got to be drunk, and then that was kind of it and that's all that was fine like she doesn't do a whole lot else does she no I don't suppose she does and Riker is the same I think yeah in this you don't really rate Marina Sirtis as an actress con I think she was fine in the next generation and the movies I just yeah I don't I, I think she's a fine actress I just don't think she's a very dynamic actress yeah what do, what's your thoughts on her I would I would probably go along with that I think that she there were a few Diana-centric episodes of uh, The Next Generation, and she did a good job on those. But uh, she's not like... A, I mean, she's not a, a standout, amazing performer. No. I think she had... the Her best episodes were when her mother was on board because she her mother was this larger-than-life character who um, was actually Gene Roddenberry's, the creator of Star Trek's wife, and was mm. also the voice of the computer. But she was very irritating to Diana. Diana. Yeah. And she was always coming onto Picard, and Picard was like avoiding her and all right, this kind okay, of stuff. Okay. Like she, her job in this film was like, go find out if that definitely is Riker. And then she gets drunk. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. we, we were kind of talking about this. I kind of thought, not in a derogatory way, but I felt in, in The Next Generation that Diana was used as the pin, was the pinup of that series, and Connor didn't think that that was the case. Uh, I would, say, I think she was kind of, I think she was, she was definitely the the most sexual woman on the crew. I mean, the the only other person really would have been Gates McFadden as Beverly Crusher, who, aside from an occasional romantic uh, moment with Picard, wasn't really. I don't. I just always felt that they were they both and this is probably because i was watching it as a kid they both seemed more like motherly figures to me or something rather than oh she no of course not to me she wouldn't have been a pinup i wouldn't add her on my well but <laughs> I, I i never nobody in school was ever saying oh that diana troy one's a hottie well you i know? mean the the alternatives were baywatch which were yeah. <laughs> i mean and the, that's not really a contest the the like i remember seven of nine jerry hall yeah. was asked Jerry Ryan Jerry Ryan, Jerry Ryan. Mm, I know that um, I should know Jerry <laughs> tell Ryan tell him Paul <laughs> uh, Jerry Hall is uh, Mick Jagger's wife, Jagger's wife. Oh, right. um, now uh, Murdoch Rupert Murdoch his wife Rupert Rupert, Rupert Murdoch's Murdoch's wife, wife? Mm. Well, mm. I thought he was married to uh, a Chinese woman I was he, I can't he certainly was married to Jerry Hall in the last like 10 years oh, geez, okay. um, but she was interviewed about her time on Star Trek and I remember her saying I know why I was on the show with you know and geared out with the way I was and had like I was busting out of my top and all that kind of stuff Diana had a onesie or not a onesie but a, a, a jumpsuit almost that she used to wear she, it wasn't a sexy outfit, and it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> like she. Was, she also wore the. Uh, she also wore that skirt. She wore the skirt in the first season. I don't know, yeah. like a schoolgirl skirt. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I like her uniform. Everyone else was wearing these really like just 
like base uh, like unisex kind of one one thing and then her was it was a slightly lilac color mm. it was off the shoulder it had a v-neck it was like painted on her and then her hair was like back combed and then she looked like kate bush like she was definitely a pit up the i mean in the first season they all they all wore those suits like all the characters in the first season were wearing essentially hard were off the yeah, shoulder no not the off the shoulder but <laughs> they were skin tight like they were like really just very sheer and um uh, like they all said they fucking hated them in the first season so they got a redesign i think in the second or possibly third season to something that was a little bit more not quite as form hugging the thing the thing about diana's outfit and i've said this to you is that she was she wasn't an officer she was the ship's counsellor. So she it was always wore... Kind of, a, kind of an ambivalent position, wasn't it? Well, no no, no other starship seemed to have a, a counsellor. Yeah. But maybe they, they were kind of had passengers as well, I guess. But she wasn't... An, and she, at one point, she actually applied to become an officer and she became a lieutenant commander. Mm. And from that point on, I think, she wore the uniform. Mm. And, and especially in Generations, she was wearing the blue... She had a blue uniform. Right before she crashed the ship. Right before she, they crashed the ship. Uh, At least she was able to counsel all the survivors. <laughs> she, she just stuck to the sexy outfits and no one would let her drive. <laughs> and just one more thing about her is, I, I find it really hard to like remember that she's an alien. Because she doesn't act mm. alien. Yeah. She doesn't look alien. I think the way she was written, I think they should have given her some sort of alien features. Even if it was just like a... Some sort of facial paint or <laughs> spot on her face or something, something like that, or or well, giving her bl- purple eye uh, contact, something because she did. She just doesn't seem. It just seems like oh yeah, she is alien, but she's not really. She's half. She's actually half human. Half. But her mother sense. didn't have anything either. Her mother didn't. Yeah, yeah. full beta and didn't have any. There were other species that were like the trill, who were basically just people human, with like with kind of tattoos around there. Yeah. Yeah, they, which go all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, the Bajorans had a little knobbly nose, and that was yeah. that, you know. So, uh, I don't know. <clears throat> the only other kind of minor character before we get into the, the, the big players is, is Beverly, is, is probably one of the other minor characters. Well, there's two other minor. Well, there's Beverly, who's part of the main cast, but then there's uh, Lieutenant Hawk. <laughs> Lieutenant Hawk was the, the red suit, as you said. The red shirt, yeah. Who's the one that, like, they say, oh, uh, Ensign. Bob over there and he's like fuck fucking hell I'm gonna die on this mission <laughs> did you see that did you see that thing I, uh, I posted you earlier where it's the, the shot of all the leaders at the G7 summit oh they're just being down yeah, yeah, yeah we like, might tweet that actually you know, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. all like the, the leaders of the G7 and they're all kind of spaced out and someone has posted that on Twitter and, and captioned it uh, they've all just beamed down and I'm really not fancying Merkel's um, fancying Merkel's chances because oh, yeah, yeah. they they actually do look like they've just beamed down as an away team and Merkel is in a red shirt on the right so this is a, a, a Star Trek funny thing that you know if they have if they're beaming down into a hostile environment and they need to kill somebody off to make make it look like it's you know dangerous it's Ensign Johnson Ensign Ricky Ensign yeah <laughs> it's from uh, that's from Family Guy I remember one of the early yeah. episodes it's like uh, Kirk the away team will be Spock uh, Bones uh, Scotty and Ensign Ricky. Ah, oh, crap. Ah, fuck. <laughs> um, I have no memory of this character. So he goes out on the spacewalk with them and he gets turned into a Borg while they're on the spacewalk. Yeah. And uh, do you remember uh, he's, he, Picard goes to pick up his gun and he steps on it and then he turns around and then looks at him and he's, 
He's Borgified. Mm, sort of. He was in. He's been in a couple of things actually. That actor. Oh, the actor. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he's he's, he's quite recognisable. Mm. But I, they just clearly have you know. He was there to get Borgified. Yeah. Yeah. So Beverly, let's talk about Beverly. She spends about thirty seconds setting up a diversion that diverts the Borg for about ten seconds. Well, I need you to divert these people here, and you have to do this. And uh, why do you need to do that? Well, you need to do this because we're and they're breaking through the door, and then she does this whole thing, and then she goes through a thing like a little. The the, the Enterprise has lots of like little Jeffrey's tube. Yeah, but the Enterprise has lots of um. Conduits, yeah. yeah. Jeffrey's tubes. And then she goes through that, and then he appears, and then he distracts them for about 10 seconds. And I was kind of thinking, I feel like she spent more time (laughs) setting up. But you don't actually see them. Like, you don't know how long they... they, uh, When Paul says he, he's referring to a cameo by Robert Picardo, who played... um, the emergency, medico- the emergency medical hologram. Is that Voyager? On Voyager, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. So every ship, every ship uh, in the fleet was issued with this emergency medical hologram. But on Voyager, their actual doctor was killed, and so the EMH became their permanent doctor and kind of started to evolve beyond his original programming to become part of the crew. So this was... A cameo. A cameo by him. Yeah, it was fun. And the sick, the sick bay was actually Voyager's sick bay. Was it? Oh, I didn't yeah. notice that. Apart from that, and she she helps Lily. She brings Lily on, and she does a few things at the start of the film. Yeah. Um, apart from that, the only thing she does is agree with Picard when she shouldn't have. <laughs> well, she was following her orders. Yeah, uh, she was on the toy show. <laughs> uh, the late late toy show. The late late toy show promoting this film. This is a bit of memory I have. Her and the actress who plays the Borg Queen, Alice Krieg. Yeah, they were on the toy show, but also to promote. Star Trek toys mm. and I guess it would have been Gay Byrne at the time said to Gates McFadden your toy is the best selling toy of the Star Trek line and she was like yeah I don't know why her <laughs> toy was the first one that sold out and I maybe she was the pinup. <laughs> I mean what do you, what do you think people are doing with these toys well I don't on. know <laughs> I mean, maybe, she, maybe they bought her so they could like kill her or something in their little I don't remember I mean, from the next generation, Crusher was always kind of... Um, I don't remember her having any great standout moments in the same way that I remember other characters having great standout moments. Um, she took control of the Enterprise during another Borg episode where Lore takes over uh-huh. a bunch of Borg. Yeah. Uh, she had a great scene in... Descent, wasn't it? Descent. And she had a great scene in the last two-parter of The Next Generation where she was captain of the, the Pasteur. Oh, yes, that's right, in All Good Things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, medical ship, wasn't it? So she, a medical ship. And her, her son was a character. Oh, Wesley Crusher. Let's not, not bother. He, he, he obviously, I know Connor told me he wasn't popular, no. but he definitely did have car- episodes that were based about him because the only episode I remember as a child was, was he's the main character, the video game one, where everyone got they all got zombified by this video game yeah. that shot things into their eyes. He was the only one that wasn't. But obviously, he wasn't in any of the films, right? Uh, he w- he made a brief, an very brief wedding? cameo at a wedding in Insurrection. Yeah. No, not in uh, Nemesis. And is that just because the, 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 the fans didn't take to him? Um, they didn't take to him. He was a little... It was kind of annoying. He wasn't that bad, but he was... 
a kind of distraction from the more interesting characters in the show. Let's put it that way. He had. He was actually, and also out. like he tur- like he was portrayed as being this like super genius. He was like kind of almost like a Mary Sue yeah. essentially. He, he he eventually like he left the see he left the series because he a the traveler, which was an alien member of a species that were essentially able to manipulate warp travel themselves without the need for technology. Kind of space time or something there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wesley Crusher ended up like, your Mozart was a genius with music and uh, Wesley is like that except with space and time. And he uh, managed to stop, at one point he managed to pull himself out of time, stop time for everyone around him. And the traveler is like, you will take the first steps on a journey that few humans will ever make. And then the two of them just walked off, vanished into the universe. Yeah, he would. He had started getting fed up with the discipline and regulation of Starfleet, and you know, had become a bit disillusioned with the whole thing, and didn't want a life of following orders, and mm. then had this opportunity. I yes, guess. Uh, but he yeah, did the old, he did all the old, the old uh, sci-fi ascension to godhood thing, sort of thing. Uh, but 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 was. Fine, coming back for the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit weird to see him there. It's like, oh, is this the, you just like rematerialized from the universe. Is yeah, Wesley, it? do you want to stop time and stop the Borg? Yeah, Thanks, that'd be great. That would have been handy. Yeah. We have to move on to Worf. Well, I, I would say Worf is not periphery. I think he's one of the mm. one of the pillars of this film. So you probably didn't pick up on this. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. So Worf is a. I am Klingon. Worf is um, in Kirk's time the Federation were at war with the Klingons. Mm. So when the next generation came along, <coughs> it was unusual that there was a Klingon on a Starfleet vessel because they're at peace. <coughs> and Worf was raised by humans. But I don't know if you picked up on this, at the start of the movie, when they go to the initial battle, Worf is on a different ship and is beamed over to the Enterprise. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, well, I thought he might... I was wondering, was he like a, an Enterprise... Uh, not an Enterprise, was he a Starfleet captain? Yeah. No. No. So he... Trans- when the Enterprise D was destroyed in the first movie, while the Enterprise was being rebuilt, he transferred to Deep Space Nine because the Federation was having some problems with the Klingons and they wanted him, you know, as a, I don't know, ambassador, representative or something. In the meantime, they had developed a ship called the Defiant, which was a ship specifically designed, and they had planned to build a fleet of these to fight the Borg. Because mm. they were small and fast, and they had Maneuverable. these. They had also, this. Had a blade of armor. A blade of armor. And it had a cloaking device, didn't it? Yes, which they could only use in the Beta Quadrant. Yeah. So he was capturing this ship that was specifically designed to fight the Borg. Yeah. Worf's great. I, love, I think he's my favorite character in Star Trek. Really? That's interesting. Mm, interesting choice. Mm. I just think he's really charismatic and he's really st- stoic. I find the Klingons are I think the Klingons are my favorite race in Star Trek. He is alien and not just because of his appearance, but he is alien in a way that I wish Diana was. You know, I mean, he's, his kind of demeanor and attitude exactly, is very Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't act different. the way a human would yeah. act without being totally inhuman as yeah. well. And I don't know the Star Trek well enough to know if that's just a Klingon thing or if that's just a Michael Doran thing. No, that's it's <laughs> definitely a Klingon thing. I I also find I found characters that have villainous, not that Worf is bad from the beginning, but like, because I would have known the Klingons as bad guys, and then I met him as a good guy. And I find that a, 
I find that an interesting character archetype, I guess. I don't feel, personally, I don't feel Michael <laughs> Dorn has great range. I think he does stoic and angry well. But I don't really think, I don't, I yeah, can't see, he's, he's got other. some. Well, not necessarily. There's a lot of Klingons that would have a lot of personality about them. And mm. yeah. I think that he does uh, deadpan humor pretty well as, yes. as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, he is actually a very major character, in the, and he he, he's, he has a son that he has to raise uh, by as a single father uh, in in the next generation. His son is pure Klingon. Can Klingons have children or humans? Yes. Yes. Belana Torres from Voyager, for instance, is half human, half Klingon. His son is three quarters Klingon. He Morpheus fully Klingon, and his partner was half Klingon. So he has a great scene in this with Picard that mm. you already alluded to where Picard calls him a coward, which would be like the worst insult you could yeah. say to a Klingon and Worf particularly. I was totally on Worf's side. I was like, don't become more of a coward. I know, yeah. And he said, if, if you were anybody else, you would be lying on that floor dead right now. Um, does he have any any other major parts in this? Like you said that he's one of the major characters. Well, I suppose just... Well, he, it, it, the zero gravity battle with... Yeah, the, yeah. he saves Picard. Yeah, He shoots... The person he suits. He does yeah. having used the Borg part of the Borg to his arm to tie off his. Uh, his that was a nice yeah. little. That yeah. was a great little thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching that going. It's mm, clever. <laughs> it was clever of him to actually bring a little knife, you know, for hand to hand combat. Nobody else did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's also assimilate this. He also uh, he also um, is responsible for like arming everyone and modulating all of the phasers to to allow the Borg to or to give them the best chance against the Borg's adaption. I do feel occasionally he is used as a character to say something wrong so somebody can correct him. What do you mean? So, like, for example... Oh, this, in, ah, I need to point out this uh, awesome bit as well, which is another little Easter egg for, um, for, uh, for Star Trek Next Generation watchers. When War first beams back on from the Defiant, and um, Picard says, uh, we could use you with tactical... And so he goes to take his old p- place on the bridge. <laughs> and the guy there at Tactical is going, what the fuck am I? <laughs> and Riker goes over and goes, you do remember how to fire phasers, right? And then kind of smiles at him and then kind of like nods yeah. a bit. It's because like it became kind of a meme in uh, the next generation that like Worf would just, he just stood up there and pressed the button to fire phasers all the time. <laughs> okay, so that's Worf. We have three characters really left, don't we? We have um, Data. Day- Data. Data. Not data. Data. Uh, Picard and the Borg Queen herself. Mm. Herself. Uh, so let's go with uh, Data, I guess, first. One thing that annoyed me in this is that at the end, he has this great line where he says resistance is futile and he throws it and says resistance is futile. I was annoyed by that also, but I watching it the most recent time, I think he actually kind of half says futile and half says futile. Well, why he doesn't really enunciate the futile, but... That's not... That's... That's the director's fault, who should have just gone, okay, just take again. But yeah, Data as one of the main characters. I suppose in The Next Generation, the three characters, the main characters are probably uh, the equivalent of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy from the original series in The Next Generation were Picard, Data, and I guess Riker. Hmm. And so Data and Picard, but Data and Picard definitely towards the front. In the same way that like Kirk and Spock were the real main ones and then Bones was also like the kind of tertiary character in that in the next generation it's 
Picard and Data, and then Riker is kind of very much the, the third member of that trio. Yeah, the Ringo. I mean, through the movies, Picard and Data are the main two characters in yeah. all the movies. Yeah. Um, and, and I think what, what's the actor's name? Brent. Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner. I think his acting chops have helped him. I think I'd say he's a good act. I, I am. He's the type of actor that a, a film director will like to give a good role to because he. Like in Independence Day as well. Yeah, yeah, and he, he's he's kind of not so much in this, but in Generations, he's scientist. The, he's the com- studying the aliens. Uh, he's the comedy relief in Generations, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah, and he he also is given a lot of the comedy lines in, in a lot of it, right? Uh, and I also think what makes me interested in anything any the ethical dilemmas that I'm interested in for a Star Trek show, a lot of them center around data because. He is a robot mm. at the end of the day. He's a, he's artificial intelligence. Yeah, mm. Picard doesn't abandon him. He treats yeah. him they they all seem to treat him absolutely as as a someone who has, you know, for kind of no better word of like a soul. You know, mm. like he is someone that deserves saving just as on a par with any of the stat uh, and I think that is an interesting like cuz it's a great episode of the next generation actually where the, it's essentially just like a courtroom is it two-parter? I don't think it's a two. I don't. I, I can't actually I can't remember. remember. It's, one or it's two a great parts. episode, though. But it's a great episode where basically a cyberneticist comes on board and wants to take possession of data because he is a unique technological innovation, and they don't. He doesn't think that data should be left on this ship at potential risk um, because there's no one else like him, and if it's lost, then the technology will be very difficult to recreate. And essentially, it turns into a courtroom drama about whether or not data constitutes the property a life form. Yeah. yeah, is is sentient does he have as, the same as rights? a life form. Does oh, he have the same rights? That's fantastic writing. And the, yeah. the, the, the best part of it is that Riker, who is as first in command, so Picard as captain is defending data, but Riker as first in command is obliged to act as the prosecution. And so Riker essentially and like he's he's told if i think that you you know by the judge if you if i think you're throwing this because of your friendship with data i am going to rule against you immediately yeah um, no not rule in your favor rule rule in favor of the the motion to repossess data it's amazing it's it's very very well done and like uh riker riker makes an amazing riker there's a scene where riker is like sitting down and thinking about this and he kind of like you see kind of a, a lightning bolt hit him. It's no dialogue. He sees a lightning bolt hit him and he kind of looks up some stuff and he kind of smiles to himself because he knows he's got a great argument and he realises then his face falls. Aww. And then uh, he presents it and it's it's a really devastating argument and, and he sits back down and like he puts his, buries his head in his hands because he's, as far as he's aware, he's as far as he's concerned, he's just essentially sentenced his, his friend to... Yeah death he can he he compares data to pinocchio yeah and the lightning bolt moment um is that he finds that data has an off switch and he just turns him off and data just goes like that and he says pinocchio's strings are cut and it's like this yeah. incredible argument i don't actually know how picard recovers from that well the, yeah. there's a scene where picard said riker's presentation was devastating hmm. but then at the end of the episode picard's convinces the judge to less uh, that data is sentient and deserving of all the uh, the, the uh, privileges of, of you know a of, of a citizen 
and personhood and um the, the the cyberneticist who comes who had come aboard to make this claim against data who has been very carefully referring to him as it for the entire episode at the end of it uh, data comes up and says uh, doctor please continue your research I, I find much of what you're doing fascinating most often he says he's an amazing he's amazing and crusher actually says to him you didn't call him it's yeah. and then at the very end the best one of the best scenes it is um uh Riker date there's a celebration for data after this is a victory and he comes into the conference room and Riker is in there alone kind of staring out the window and data says you know if you are you not coming to the celebration and Riker says I don't think it'd be appropriate for me to come and uh you know data's like are you you know are you uh sad that you lost or are you upset losing Riker was like oh, no data I came this close to winning and data basically says you were obliged to do that that action harmed you but saved me I will not forget it and uh, Riker says you're a wise man my friend and Data says and Data says not yet sir but with your help I am learning uh, I think we're going to have a whole synopsis of that episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Data in this uh, movie Data is a big threat to the Borg really because he is locked out he has encrypted the computer with a fractal, fractal encryption code which I've looked up and isn't actually a thing you know, and you can very clearly see when they're walking through the ship, he can just chuck them away and, you know, yeah. bang them and they're gone. And, you yeah, know, so he is the biggest threat to them. them yeah. So when he's captured, it's a real blow to the crew because, mm. you know, like, shit, they were, he was the ace in the hole there. And it's, it's really, really clever how the Borg Queen, there's great dialogue between the two of them. Mm. Uh, he's trying to understand what she is. Um, and she has these all sort of kind of cryptic answers I am the Borg I am the beginning the end the one who has many and they reactivate his emotion chip which yeah. then has a great knock on effect of great some great acting where he's trying to pretend that he's not scared but he's terrified and, uh, but the, the the way she drills into his head and finds out what she, she has a great way of finding out what makes a person or a thing tick what their goals are what their motivations are and then using it to manipulate them mm. and starts grafting skin onto his body because he always wanted to be more human, human yeah. his reaction when the when she blew on the skin that she put on gave him goosebumps was amazing yeah, yeah really good yeah, and it's, it's really because does, does Data not feel tactile as then he registers touch and tactile and they they actually allude to this at the start on, yeah. where he touches and he says <laughs> does 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 tactile contact with an object make you feel more close oh, to it yeah, yeah. talking to picard about yeah. you know picard is saying oh, right. touch this it's it's makes it more real and you know it's uh, that he'd seen it in the smithsonian always wanted to touch it yeah. there's a conversation about how tactile touch makes which is great writing things. the writers yeah, of this yeah, are so good writing. and writing that isn't necessarily these things could have been cut from the film and you still would have got the the bones of the action and stuff. But it wouldn't have been as rich. It wouldn't have been as rich. No. Yeah, that's that's the difference I think between a good movie and a great movie. Yeah. Is you know they'll have all of these little hooks and and things to refer back to. Yeah. yeah and yeah, foreshadowing yeah. that you don't really realize at the time was foreshadowing, mm. and maybe sometimes don't realize until the fourth watch that it's foreshadowing. Well, I've only come up with that now actually yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that we've been talking about. Just on that, because did what what did, what was your general thoughts on this film in general, Gem? I really enjoyed it actually. It was very good. Um, I quite I enjoyed the foreshadowing bits. That bit where they had the discussion with Data at the beginning of 
he was interested in how it affects you but I think that also hearkened to him wanting to be human not just the touch but like the whole thing Mm. so if you hadn't seen any previous Star Trek you still even in those few lines about it got like you knew straight away that he was interested in what it is to be human and that combined then with the emotion chip that he got in the first movie yeah you know to be honest (laughs) whenever I've watched any any Next Generation's content Data is probably the character I I feel the most empathy towards and the most kind of warmth towards which is weird and I don't know if that's it's probably a combination of of, of stellar writing but also his performance is just so he's able to because he's not acting the same way all the other characters are he is still robotic but whatever there's something very warm about Data yeah I think as well you know the way that uh, we'll feel more we'll feel more bad for a dog that gets killed in a movie than a person. I think that Data has that kind of naivety (coughs) about him that makes you feel that bit protective almost over his character. And you can also see, you can see that there's a real love between every character and him. They all seem to adore him. I think at the end, the first time I watched this, I was almost convinced that Data had turned to the dark side. Only for I zero. Knew. You doubt her. You. Only for zero point six eight seconds. Yeah, another great line. I was. I think I was taken by that up until he. So that's because you didn't watch. You can't watch the next generation and think that Data's going to do that because it never happened. No, but I didn't watch the. Next what do you think generation. he is? Lore. Right, but I didn't watch the next generation, and I did watch this, and I did think that he had been taken into the Borg. You actually thought he'd been assimilated into the Borg yes. collective. Yeah, I thought uh, that I thought that he was like gone. I thought that he was gonna. What was the thing that he was gonna do when he was like re- resistance is futile? Oh, he the, was gonna the destroy ro- the yeah, warp ship. I thought they were going into the ship. You thought that he was gonna yes. actually destroy the warp ship with yes. Riker and Jordy LaForge. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that seems unlikely. Well, I don't watch Star Trek, so I was definitely taken in by the you know. All right, well that's good. But yeah. I thought Data might have gone. Might have gone dark, dark side. side. I I was certain that he would be brought back from the dark side at well, some after point. killing after killing Riker and LaForge, two yeah. of the most beloved characters. <laughs> right, but I didn't would have been saved at the last minute. No, I mean that's a feasible plot. Like it was this big movie, right? I don't yeah. know. I wasn't watching it back then. I don't know. It was like this movie that I watched, and he appeared to be taken in by the shagging with the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say though, three quantum torpedoes against that one ship was a bit excessive. excessive. I mean, that's how many. That's the same amount that they fired to take down the Borg Borg. sphere. Let's talk about the Borg Queen and the Borg as a whole. Mm. It's a great villain. Uh, We are going to finish with a card. Because the the Borg are just such a. They're a really interesting villain because they're they're kind of almost like a a virus. Yeah, Mm. they're already ambiguous as well. Yes. And there's even this weird angle. Amor, yes. yes and there's even this weird angle that if the Borg took over Earth well we wouldn't have war not that I know in Star Trek there's no war but you know what I mean like if they, when they take over a species they would well, Star- Starfleet does spend a considerable amount of its time at war actually well there you yeah okay so you know if everyone gets assimilated you, you know world peace yeah. universe mm-hmm. peace with the loss of obviously you know bodily autonomy it's not really world peace it's world <laughs> control subservient yeah, yeah. Uh, no I, I know I know I know I'm just saying that this is you know they are amoral and the one thing though is the Borg Queen 
can she make her own decisions as a person and then is it just that the Borg are her slaves or you imply disparity when there is none Paul so no I think think the idea is that the Borg is the Borg queen is kind of she's like a queen bee a little bit I think she's it's almost a little bit like Neo from the Matrix right where Neo is supposed to be the end product of all of these accumulated um, uh, accumulated glitches or accumulated uh, bits of, of freedom in the Matrix and they kind of accumulate into the one similar to the Borg Queen my feeling about it was more that all the individual Borgs there's a situation say and you've got a billion ideas all at once and she's there to filter out yeah. and take the best yeah. and to make the final decision so she's this nexus conduit, conduit. Yeah, exactly. I think I did really like her and I loved the the way the character was played and I think it worked really well but I thought the Borg was a more was a scarier thing when it didn't have that one when it was just the collective, okay. and so, it didn't have yeah, that one. Okay, kind okay. Of that, that might be that might work for a for a TV series where the board can have. Multiple yeah, I don't think it would have worked for the movie. No, but I just they were a more kind of scary villain. Yeah, when it was the mean. collective, and there wasn't any kind of guiding thing other than just we will assimilate. Everything. We will assimilate. Yeah. There's, there's, there's there was no kind of logic. Of us and they're all. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think for a movie, you need a kind of a focal point. Yeah, 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 and she was. Like even like from an aesthetic point of view, like she's yeah, a really well designed villain. Yeah. Um, even from her first appearance, where she comes oh, down from. I there. would almost say that's she like comic. Me of yeah, really, really. Yes, yeah. yes, and uh, I had never seen that film before, but I knew that image of the tor- the her. What do you call that part of your body? Like torso. Torso. Torso is more your hips, isn't it? It was more like no, her. Torso, no, torso would be everything from the waist up. Yeah, it was more like kind of her, her, her breastplate. Yeah. yeah, just being it's, it's so inhuman and creepy, yeah, and then yeah. just clicking in. Yeah. Really creepy. She almost gets a little. It's almost like a little sexual gratification when she clicks in and she just goes. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you needed her. Like the Borg are terrifying when they're just drones going around the place, mm. but you did need some some personification of the evil that they are. Yes. Um, yeah. To to relate to, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. Even us as like individual watchers, we need something to kind of hone in on as we're watching it. I have a a point. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a controversial statement that I want to put out there. Ooh. The Borg Queen is almost sympathetic because she's lonely she is the only incorrect she is the only for all intents and purposes she, she just wants the ride she <laughs> just wants a bit of data dick can she not Shaggy. ride her her, her, um, her Borg well they don't have any is that masturbation <laughs> she's the only one of the Borg who she is the try selling that to your husband <laughs> She is the the only one with what seems to be emotion and with a personality, and you know she is just directing this Borg, and self a self a self contained will. She is essentially alone because she's the only one that has a semblance of free will, I guess. And even though she is uh, a cyborg, she's also part flesh and blood, and 
she wanted firstly Picard as an equal as a mm. counterpart somebody to stand with her to, yes. so she wasn't just alone the whole mm. time and now Data mm. so she has there's an element there of sympathy no I do yeah I do think that she was uh, that's what I meant when I said she was kind of morally ambiguous so she was like a sympathetic villain mm. where you could kind of understand the emotion of wanting who wanting to have somebody to be with her yeah. and that kind of thing. Well, well, that, that makes, makes sure it more complicated yeah. and more interesting yeah but after she's after she dies, there's the, the great bit where Picard and Data have a conversation about her, and, and Data says, "It's strange. Part of me is sad that she's dead. She was unique." And Picard says, "She was unique," which is a rather unusual conversation to have for the heroes of a, of a movie to have about the villain after they've been after they've been um, defeated. But in the context of the movie, it seemed very appropriate. Yeah. Was she unique? So the other Borg cubes don't have a the mythology of the boar queen has never been subsequently very clearly uh, elucidated in star trek in star trek picard the most recent series there what they did find within the boar cube what they called a queen cell mm. which seems to be where a queen would reside and command the execute or filter the the uh, collective consciousness of the borg and in fact seven of nine plugs herself into the queen cell and becomes briefly the queen of that particular cube hmm. so it does seem that there are other Borg queens scattered around the yeah uh, the, I prob- mean, the problem gem is is that you think in such three-dimensional terms yeah. <laughs> the i mean they 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 refer to it in the movie where picard says that Borg cube was destroyed and all the Borg on it and she says that line you think in such three-dimensional terms so either she's saying that well there's a fourth dimension time travel or something uh, or you kind of think, well, all her experience and knowledge and everything would be stored somewhere and then put into another drone or something, or she'd be recreated yeah. in some mm. way. In Voyager, they had a Borg queen who was, I think, meant to be the same character, but wasn't very good. And in the final episode of Voyager, there's a there's a Borg episode, and they brought Alice Creek back because she was ah, excellent. I never actually, I don't think I ever actually saw the last episode. Oh, for <gasps> God's sake. I know. You I know. call yourself a fan. I know. I mean, like, I just, that, oh, that show was trying on occasions. And I, <laughs> eventually, I just gave up. <coughs> the, the Borg cube was an interesting choice, like, from the introduction of the Borg, because everything is always so kind of sleek and streamlined and yeah. round and these kind of... Uh, yeah. aerodynamic spaceships and then you just have this cube, cube. Yeah. sitting it's in space it's like this is just efficient yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to actually ask but now there's no point because you haven't watched that episode but at, anyway at the end of that episode Janeway of course saves the day Naturally. Janeway from the future Janeway she, from the future goes back in time, back in time persuades herself to take a Borg transwarp conduit to get home yes. like 15 years earlier than yeah. they would otherwise have but in the process, future Janeway injects herself with this kind of nanovirus or something, which then gets injected into the Borg and they all start disintegrating. So effectively, she kind of destroys the Borg, huh. which I was then thinking, is that the reason why the artifact is in Picard? Because the Borg have essentially been destroyed and then all these cubes uh, just shut down, essentially. Maybe. Well, that's good. Yeah, that could be it. They never really explain in Picard why the artifact is disabled. It'd be interesting. I would like to see the Borg come back again at some, in some fashion in Picard, but I think they've, since they've done them in the first season, I don't know if they're going to yeah. revisit it. There is an something. element of 
you've done it before you yeah. need to move on kind of thing and yeah. they were so great that you know maybe it's yeah. time to put it to bed for a few years I, I find hive minds just inherently just interesting storytelling mm. devices and I, I mentioned in the last episode that uh, I more one of my favorite book series is the Animorph book series I know yeah. I, I think it was and the Catherine Applegate who wrote them was hugely influenced by Star Trek and as we've done this season I keep seeing things and I'm like oh my god she got that <laughs> and there was one and I'll just briefly tell this because it's, it's kind of I know it's all but uh, there was these one group of aliens called the Howlers that were a hive mind now they were totally biological they didn't assimilate they were just mm. a hive mind of, of, uh, of uh, incredibly violent aliens that would uh, t- take over planets and just completely decimate them and then move on to the next planet and uh the uh, the animorphs had to face off against them, and the six animorphs they were they had morphing powers. If they touched something, they could absorb their DNA and then turn into them. Mm. And they all morphed into their battle morphs and just about defeated one. And they were like, we have no chance against a whole army of them. But what one of them managed to absorb one, and then they morphed into them. Right. And when they morphed into them because they were a hive mind the entire species absorbed the memories of humans ah. and it, this hive mind had never they were they had no they had never understood the concept of empathy because they didn't realize other species had feelings and had emotions they just thought that it was all a big game mm. and when they realized that they were destroying things that had feelings and things they were like horrified and that's how they defeated them because they just by when Jake turned into a, a howler the entire species de- learned empathy and they were like no and they were basically like sorry <laughs> sorry and they just stopped uh, and that's how they defeated them by that and i thought that was a really clever way of like and that's like using a hive mind there's lots of like storytelling things that you can do that you wouldn't be able to do with yeah. your typical bad guy well she may have gotten that from another episode called um Descent. She was just a big plagiarizer. I know. Are you talking about? Well, it was before. Are you talking about Hugh? Yeah. Yeah. So but that was before Descent. There was like. Well, the well, episode. Descent led on from that because Hugh was yeah. a Borg, which was taken out of the collective by the Enterprise, and Picard <clears> at this stage had been assimilated, and all that had happened, and had no sympathy for him. And Guinan, whose whole race was destroyed by the Borg, had no sympathy for him. But as they got to know him, they realized they're not just drones. They are behind all that. There is a person. Uh, and they so they decided they had planned to put in this, this virus ethical ethical space quandary. Yeah. yeah, they had decided to put in this virus to destroy all the Borg, but then decided against it in the end because they got to new Hugh, no Hugh, and also because they were like maybe the maybe the 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 seed of uh, individuality that Hugh has gained during his time in the Enterprise will be more effective than the virus without us having to decimate um, the entire species, which then. It kind of was. They returned him to the Borg, but that seed of individuality was quite disrupt- disruptive to the Borg, and a bunch of them that their cube essentially ended up uh, destroying itself, and a few of them that got the taste of individuality got away and were then manipulated by Data's brother Lorne, who built this society and was trying to. I don't know what he was trying to do, but anyway. Okay, so okay, let's ra- Picard, let's go on to Picard, and, then, and we'll wrap up. Yeah. Uh, Picard got to be a little bit sexy in this film with his tank top and his Tarzan swinging. <laughs> in my research for this film, which wasn't very much, I watched one YouTube video. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they were very, they were quite critical of that. They said the TV Picard is very different to film Picard. And I, I think you can, you have to kind of think, 
you got a, you got 90 minutes to 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 have a, a character as opposed to a whole series but they said that that tv picard was very reluctant to have any death or to make any kind of decisions about the death of his crew well in these films he was like no you must you must kill them you must kill them and he like he shot loads of, he like killed a couple of his crew members without like thinking and in the show he wouldn't have done it as quickly in this particular movie yeah he this specific the movie. yeah they actually said no film picard is, is generally quite different that was like a plot point in the movie it was yeah I Lily think brought it probably it up as well. if you were a Star Trek fan and you'd been watching it then that probably served to portray Picard's kind of hatred of the Borg more mm. powerfully than it otherwise would have because you would be aware of that but as somebody who just watched that movie and didn't really watch much of the show before and after it did seem like he was just a bit kind of Cavalier. Throw it away. Yeah, well, I mean, I, he did. He did say earlier on that, like, <coughs> while they were breaking out the phasers to to go and fight the Borg at the beginning, well, the first time that they went to fight the Borg on the Enterprise, Picard was like, "One more thing, you may see some members of the crew who have been assimilated. Don't hesitate to fire. You'll be putting, you know, believe yeah. me, you'll be doing them a favor." And then he did kill with the. He shot someone who had been turned Help on the Borg. Me. Help me, Captain. And killed him. Nope. And then later on, he um, in the holodeck, he he killed uh, a Borg, and then Lily noticed that. Anson Lynch. Lily noticed that he had a Starfleet insignia, and Picard was like, "Yes, this used to be Anson Lynch," and Lily was kind of shell shocked and was like, mm-hmm. yeah, "Yeah, like too bad, I guess." Yeah, his crew went above and beyond to rescue him when he was a Borg on a Borg ship. Yeah. Mm. It is a slightly different situation where you are the only Starfleet vessel, you're in the past, and if you don't act decisively and quickly, there's going to be a lot more of your crew, if not all of them, assimilated. And also then your whole future is going to be fucked. Yeah. So while they in the when they the, the crew risked life and limb to save him, they had a bit more flexibility, I guess, to do that. I don't agree that he's totally different in all the films. In uh, I, I think in Generations, he's very much himself and mm. he has this emotional trauma with his uh, nephew and, and brother dying, uh, which is he does excellently. Interaction. It, the, the writing was poor, I think. Uh, yeah. And he was a bit out of character for that. Uh, but I think in Nemesis, he, he, he kind of got it back to a large extent. In this film, though, in particular, it was his obsession with the Borg and yeah, yeah, revenge yeah. which changed him into this and his <laughs> post-traumatic trauma his PTSD or whatever yeah so I think in this film yes that's that he is different but he's not different he's not not himself he's just a person who has been traumatised and is obsessed, obsessed with getting yeah. the Borg driven like he, he would he would gladly throw himself at the Borg and expects everyone else to do the same even mm. when it's He's acting, hopeless. he's acting as if all the crew has had his experience yeah. and should be willing to do this rather than realising that... Well, it's in line with the Ahab thing, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. yeah very Which it takes, yeah. it takes that speech by Lily to turn him around. Yeah. He's more like Khan in this film than he is like Kirk in some ways. So it's also interesting that he expects everybody to realise what he's thinking, a bit like the Borg. Mm, I like mm. that. Mm. Like he's having these very strong emotions because he hates them and he expects everybody else to make all these sacrifices and everything mm. as the Borg would. 
yeah. it's a hive mind kind of thing and it's very much follow my orders and the captain's made it order yeah. and we have to go and do it yeah so it's kind like of queen. indicative yeah just like the, the queen indicative of his kind of leftover borginess yeah <laughs> it could be it could be it could be that lacutus getting yeah. back in in his head yeah i did think in the in the movie in the original series when they changed him into lacutus they put something onto his his arm Mm. Uh, in this they had like amputated the person's arm and were connecting something I was like yeah. oh, they didn't do that in the, in the movie <laughs> um, yeah well, I mean budget constraints I mean this looks a lot better than the series I know what Picard yeah. needed his, his left also, arm for the series <laughs> also the shit they put on the Borg seems to be random from one Borg to the next so it's just, it seems I, I to guess like they whatever they have lying around I I guess, yeah it depends on what the role is going to be mm. okay well, I think Pat, Pat, I just want to have, we have to give a little bit of credence to Patrick Stewart because his performance is just so much better than it needs to be. I mean, I'm not to put down the. You don't rate him. No. Oh, I think he's like almost six. Oh, you can let this go. I can't you have to embarrass me on this podcast. No, go on. Why not? Why not? Well, um, I don't know. I just think he's kind of like you were saying. I can't. I can't remember who you were saying it about. But earlier you were saying about somebody who had like a presence as, as though they were on stage. Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like he's like that. Like the bit he where was. he was like. No. Where Lily was like popping off and he went, calm down. And it's like, oh, I didn't, I just don't rate him. That's all. I mean, he is. <laughs> That's, enough wrong opinions. That's enough wrong opinions for now. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he is, a, I think he, he is a theatre actor, actually. Yes. But I I think he has. I, I, it's been a while since he's been primarily a. a, a no, yeah, I know. But he, so he's, he's classically a, trained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> whenever I hear classically trained, totally good off subject. But you know, in Spider Man Two, <laughs> do you know the scene where uh, the actress who played Aunt May is like? There was a scene where she's like caught up on Doctor Octopus's tentacles. Oh. And that that when that was filmed, she was basically hanging from a high wire. She's a woman in her seventies, you know. Yeah. Hang from high wire with Alfred Molino, you know, yeah. and the, the rest of the crew were like, "Cut, cut! We're gonna take twenty minutes. You guys okay up there? You okay up there? Okay, we'll be back in twenty minutes." So she was left hanging with Alfred Molino, and Alfred Molino said, "She just turned to him and said, I'm classically trained, you know." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so whenever I hear anyone say classically trained, I just think of that actress who was like, "And May in Spider Man Two at a crane." Um, yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> Uh, I think though just on Jem's point um, he has a very dramatic scene with Lily mm. uh, but I think he delivers it it would be really easy to del- deliver that in a very stagey kind of way Yeah. and I think he delivers it brilliantly well I don't <laughs> <laughs> well I think I think Jem is saying she thinks he does deliver it stagey is that what you're saying yeah I just don't I just find him kind of stilted he's just not an actor I've like I don't even in the X-Men films I don't really get on with him as an actor okay. well you know there's room for all opinions on this podcast <laughs> even no, ones we'll that just are edit clearly <laughs> incorrect and should be edited out in post-production no, I'm, 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 we're I th- uh, if we more tempted than I've ever been <laughs> if we're doing another card film I'm gonna be, I'm gonna look at it from that angle because I, I I've I've, I've always really enjoyed his performance. So I'd be curious. I think it's, I mean, in that scene where he's talking to Lily, I think I think his delivery he loses it when he, he screams, "No, no!" Picard or Stuart? <laughs> Picard. It doesn't make me not enjoy the movie. No, I know. I but you think Lily? Him. You think Lily out? Yeah, she's yeah, my, way okay, better. Okay. She's probably my favorite character. Yeah, but I think in that scene, like he's not 
he 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 loses his his temper and smashes everything, and then kind of catches himself and you know kind of reels it back in, very intensely but very coldly. Say you know, uh, they invade our space and we fall back. They assimilate entire civilizations and we fall back. And then the you know, rage starts coming out again. The line must be drawn here. This far and no further. And I think he was kind of exaggerating, though, because, I mean, they've only had two or three encounters with the Borg. It's not like they're encroaching on their space the whole time. Well, they're about to take over the entire Earth yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah it, was, it is the second time in six years they've attacked Earth. And, you know, he has heard from Guinan that this, the Borg are just essentially a plague. And he's heard from the Borg themselves. And he knows from the Borg firsthand, like he was in the, the collective consciousness. So he knows pretty much every civilization that they've ever that they've ever uh, I think, assimilated I mean there's a lot and I, I think you alluded to this uh, on your very brief thesis statement um, about time travel Borg time travel in the Delta Quadrant fly over and assimilate Earth you know was it Delta yeah. like what do we go back to the Delta 1980s no no the Delta Quadrant is where they're from so that's thousands of light years away the so entire, they could just go back the in entire time entire Star Trek over. the entire Star Trek universe galaxies history takes place all within the Milky Way galaxy. Okay. And it's in, divided into four quadrants, the Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta Quadrant. Alpha Quadrant is where Earth is, where essentially all of the Federation, the Federation is, the Cardassians, the Klingons. Cardassians? Cardassians. Cardassians. <laughs> uh, the Klingons, everyone is in the, the, beta, the, gamma, the Alpha Quadrant. I think maybe the Klingons are just over the border of the Beta Quadrant, or the Romulans are just over the border Not of the Beta sure. Quadrant. But Did the Delta Quadrant originate in India? <laughs> <laughs> no. The Delta Quadrant is where Voyager gets thrown in the beginning oh, of... the Borg. The Borg are in the Delta Quadrant, yes. So what, 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 do you, what was your... Why don't they just do what? Go. So they're in the Delta Quadrant, go back in time there, then fly over to Earth and assimilate Earth. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Or also just go back in time... To the like before Earth has weapons that are any threat to you. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. Time. Yeah. If you introduce time travel to a film, you have to just accept that there's going to be, you know, mumbo jumbo problems. And, yeah. Okay. Um. Just very brief because I know we want to wrap up, but just but I think it's worth noting that like this is a really incredibly diverse cast in terms of like, race and gender and. That's good. <laughs> Star Trek always yeah, it's was, got though, like, isn't it? Yeah. It's um, got it's got like a Klingon in there. Like the <laughs> there's, there's a half beta Z. They had uh yeah, Kirk and Nichelle Nichols Uhura had the first yeah. on screen interracial. And that kiss. was what in the sixties? Yeah. Sixty yeah. yeah. They've always been like that, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I guess because it's like set in the future, so who fucking cares? And in um the newest Star Trek movies, uh there is some gay representation because George Takai who is gay his character Sulu um, in the new movies you find out that he has a husband and a daughter mm. although George Takai came out about that oh well did he? <laughs> he did right. he was did like this was never part of the character's history yeah. why would you do this? well there, I mean it was part of the character's history that he had a daughter oh you mean like the recast of yeah, yeah, the, the new, news, the new, the new, the the new, new Oh yes, I know. Yeah, we watched another Star Trek film that we didn't know we're not going to cover for this. What one was it? Where I mean, I watched this like a week ago and I've forgotten it. Where like they they take what Star Trek film did we watch recently? Well, you'd be talking about Generations. We, Search for Spock. Know. Search for Spock. Uh. And Soro. That's the Who? Name. George Takai's character. Sulu. 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 
was wearing the most amazing cape ever. Um, I w- oh, yeah, he was clearly gay. He had this yeah. amazing cape. <laughs> <laughs> so, George Takai, go back. And, <laughs> and, and then tell us that he wasn't gay. Yeah. And he's also... He's also like the, the, he's making a dis- he's doing a distraction for the guys going into he's some room and he, he, he no but he he leans on it. There's a guy sitting there, the security guard, and goes, "Are they working you hard or something like this?" And your man's just looking at him, hardly working. He also has like this. He has this very deep voice, George Takai, that I never noticed mm. before. And um, but yeah, the costume oh designer, my. the costume designer for the Search of Spock was. Just doing and not just him. All the costumes in that film. How are many Star there. Trek movies did you watch? In we watched. I don't know. They all blend into one. To be honest. <gasps> um, yeah. We watched Search for Spock. We watched Wrath of Khan. We watched Generations, and then we watched. What's this one we're doing? First Contact. First contact. Are you doing the new ones? Well, we're going to decide that in a minute. No. But I just wanted to say that I thought I think the diversity in this film is a good thing. Aces. Well done, 25 years ago. <laughs> and direction was uh, very well directed, nice looking film, and the music was fantastic. Mm. Uh, one thing I will. Oh, yeah, the theme tune. Yeah, that was, that was yeah, particularly yeah. awesome. They yeah. so had this kind of. There was a, there was a, a Borg soundtrack that they had, mm. um, which was very good. One thing I would say, though, is that in terms of the direction, it is a it's kind of a horror movie, slightly. It's got, yeah, tones of horror movie. Yeah, yeah, I don't think the camera work was, in all cases, brilliant. Uh, it, it did, in some parts, come across more like an episode, like camera work you would expect to see in a bit TV-ish, bit TV-ish yeah. or something. And, uh, you know, when they're going down through the halls and there's, you know the doors open into this black area and the board lasers come on which I thought was cool at the time but then looking back at it now I'm kind of like that's a bit it's cheap a bit dated. Yeah. 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 it was nice if you look at any film from 1996 though I think this is comparable yeah. after yeah, this it was, this was directed by uh, Johnson Frakes who plays Riker, Riker on the show yeah oh yeah oh I didn't know that mm. oh good for him uh, I, I think probably we um, we watched the episodes the two Borg episodes before we watched the double episode yeah Best of both worlds. Yeah, and I think maybe if we hadn't watched that, because we watched that, and then obviously the movie was kind of streets ahead, uh, streets ahead in terms of how it looked. But I think if we hadn't watched that, it probably would have come off as a bit. That's interesting because mm. we did the same. Yeah. yeah it was the first time we were introduced to Enterprise E, and I would have liked a bit more. I think action with yeah. the Enterprise E. They yeah. fired a few fo- or quantum torpedoes and that, but I was kind of hoping for a bit more of yeah. a battle. I was like, kind of get was, later on. there was no transition. Like at the end of Generations, it was no, the D had been that. destroyed, but they hadn't introduced the E yet. No. So this was like the very first appearance of the E. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, Sometime, somehow, I doubt this will be the last ship to bear the name Enterprise. Plenty of letters left on the alphabet. Plenty of letters left on the alphabet. That um, was quite funny. <clears throat> one thing after this movie, this movie kind of introduced the Borg green light. And after this movie in Voyager, the fucking Borg just were spotlight green, this lime green which was just placed on every Borg mm. going, which is just really annoying to me. Yeah, I, in, in The Next Generation, I guess, in uh, Best of Both Worlds, there wasn't... 
the, they hadn't got the lighting. They hadn't got the, the green no. theme. They had the, the transport. All the explosions green. in this movie were green yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, I think we need to put it on our list. Okay, so we get I, to decide where it goes on our list. Sorry, guys, you don't. Um, <laughs> Boo! I'm give give a quick this. rundown there. Of okay, the, so, okay. One, Harold and Maude. Two, Little Mermaid. Three, Hocus Pocus. Four, Oliver. Five, Wonder Woman. Six, Batman Returns. Seven, Fifth Under Eight, Something Like It Hot. I would put this film at number nine above Iron Man. Uh, Ten Widows, Eleven Fish Called Wanda, Twelve Mirror's Wedding, Thirteen Halloween, and Fourteen Wrath of Khan. I think this is like objectively better than Wrath of Khan. Jerry's screaming right now. Um, I'm going to. I think I enjoyed it more than Some Like It Hot. I would put it higher than that. And actually, I would put it higher on the list, but I think I'm not going to win that battle, so I'm going to say I, I want to put I it. You, you you have some more votes here, by the way, Con. If you if you need them. <laughs> I think Some Like It Hot is a more iconic film. I think it's. I think overall enjoyment for me, I think was uh, I enjoyed this more. Give me one place. <laughs> That's, I just feel like something like a hot is, like in like ten years time, if I haven't seen something like a hot, I will be able to tell you the plot for that. In I'll be able to tell you scene for scene everything that happens in Some Like It Hot. Suggest it's a very I, simplistic movie. I'm, n- I'm never going to watch Some Like It Hot again. I will watch this again. You could yeah. always just listen to Bernard's synopsis back anyway. <laughs> I'm going to listen to that to put I mean, myself to sleep tonight. I could do that. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. I think I disagree, but... Okay. Well, too bad. Okay, so number eight on our list, which is good. That's a good it's performance. Very, That's very, very good. good. Yeah, I, think so. I think this is going to be our highest one. Okay, great. Okay, so... Uh, What's this film? First Contact. <laughs> Number eight in our list. 1996. 1996. Okay, so we've done our 80s Star Trek. We've done our 90s. We're running out of decades. So I have picked the Chris Pine one, which is just called Star Trek to do, which is 2008. Nine. 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 And I'm going to choose. I'm going to stick with Picard. I'm going to choose. So what we have is 1978, the motion picture. We're not doing that. Uh, we have Nemesis. Which is another Picard. We have. What year is that? 2002. We have 2009's Chris Pine, Star Trek Revival, and Star Trek Age of Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond. So I'm going to choose, go with the second Picard, Star Trek Nemesis, which is 2002. You heads or tails? Heads. <laughs> okay. Now remember this because we often get it wrong, right? Your heads, I'm tails. So heads is Star Trek 2009, tails is Nemesis. Well, you can just remember because tails the fox is also a ginger. <laughs> Brilliant! That's your. La- that's going to be your last contribution to this podcast. Where did you your brain go? Because <laughs> you said you didn't remember. I was trying to be helpful. One time we did this. Oh, Tales from Sonic. Yes. yes. <laughs> One time we did this, and about three podcasts later, we we're like, "Oh, oh, I actually won the toss. We should have done a totally different movie." Anyway, okay, S- flip a coin. Tails, I win again. Nemesis, this is. Is that the? That's the last Picard one. Yes. So this was the farewell to the Next Generation crew. Cast. I will be re-examined. Patrick Stewart's performance. Before we go, I just may have ruined Patrick Stewart for Paul forever, Jim. So, good, good work. Thank you. Well. No, he, no, she hasn't. 
because I never feel like if you alright before we go I have to give you our handles so you can follow us on Twitter at Silver Screamers you can email us, email us silverscreamers at gmail.com our website is www.silver-screamers.com you can find us on Facebook Silver Screamers Podcast Instagram Silver Screamers Podcast and you can catch us on iTunes Spotify SoundCloud and the Apple Podcast app on your Apple devices like us rate us comment, us, comment on us review us and keep it all nice and friendly and that's about it and just want to say thank you so much to Gem and Bernard for being incredible guests uh, did you guys enjoy yeah. it that yeah. was great thanks for having us um, yes well we edit this down and we'll get it out in the next few days we'll edit these three hours <laughs> good luck at that this was an epic episode My God, I think this is our longest non-awards ceremony episode shocking <laughs> <laughs> half of it was burning synopsis okay, okay. thanks guys <laughs> bye <laughs>